hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on it so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com drink. That's rosettastone.com drink. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc.com slash drink. Hey, boo. Hi, Christine. Two days in a row. Aren't you lucky? I am. I woke up in a really good mood because I was going to talk to you. Yeah, you texted me us like 20 minutes before recording and I was like, why are you awake? You're usually oh, asleep. That was me waking up for sure. I was no, I know, bed. but you're usually asleep till about five minutes before recording. So I was <laughs> And this time it was 20. It was. I was genuinely like, why is Emma awake? Because when Eva said, who wants to start the Zoom? I was like, I'll do it. Emma's probably asleep. And then you responded and I thought, so someone's chipper and up bright and early. I don't know. That's probably, I don't know why I'm chipper. That's an outlier, but I do think. <laughs> Let's um, not question it too much. Yeah, but I, no, I've been having this thing where the last few days now I've been having really vivid dreams and then doing that thing where I wake up because I think I missed something and I panic. Oh no. And then I realize I have exactly 40 minutes left before I have to wake up. So that happened again today and I just happened to have that's my panic odd. thing. Before I almost actually slept through this. So I was like, I should just stay awake. Um, anyway, that's why I appeared stoked to be awake. I mean, listen, I'm going to pretend like it's the real deal and you're just thrilled to see me. I am. I'm not kidding. I woke up and I was like, I'm going to, I am definitely chipper because I was like, I'm going to talk to Christine today. Aww. And very excited about it. Why do you drink this week, Em? Boy, why do I drink this week? <laughs> 
Um, I'm stressed. I'm very stressed about uh, just a lot of obviously the holiday stuff coming up of just like having to travel to multiple places. And this year we're adding Allison's family to the mix, which is the first time I'm going home to Allison's family oh. for the holidays. Um, they do a thing which I so appreciate called fake miss where it's so the whole family can get together before they have to go to the in-laws. And so it's it does not actually get in the way of my Christmas plans, which I love because I what really is fake miss. What do you like? like what fake that Christmas. But like, what do you mean? Like, what does that mean? So they have Christmas before Christmas, so that way all the oh on a different can... day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, got you. Okay, and um, works out very well for me because I I'm I struggle a lot with like <laughs> like routine changes, especially in things like holidays, where like I at least have a fixed idea of what's going on. Especially from a chaotic family, I really like to know exactly what the fuck's going on. So it's you so think... funny because I've developed the opposite way, where I'm just like fucking throw me to the wolves, baby. I think this is how I thrive. I think I've made such a lovely life for myself out here that then all of a sudden when I go oh, back you're kind to of like dragged my, into it, my yeah. childhood, uh, uh, like the, my my mom's house is fine, seeing my friends is fine, like I see my dad, which is fine. It's just it's all of a sudden I feel like I'm at the mercy of other people's schedules or like I have to use their car. It becomes a whole thing, and so you'd think I would want to run away in the opposite direction and go be with Allison's family, but there is something weirdly alluring about going back home. Yeah, there's yeah, I get so anyway, that. And to be fair, I have a house here, so I get to hide away. Like, that's That's different. But you have a baby, so everyone follows you home. That's true. (laughs) That's That's actually so much scarier. That's like your baby is the invitation to vampires sometimes, you know? (laughs) But to be fair, they come over to be with her and I get to go sleep. And so it is kind of a great, like, sometimes we'll all hang out and the baby will just be in the middle of the room and I'll go like, what did we talk about before this baby? Like, what did we do? Because now it's like, oh, we just look at the baby or like talk about the baby. Like, what else did we even do before now? Allison's brother, this is, I think, going to be their first Christmas. It uh, is with with their baby. And the baby is like, I was, okay, as an only child, I always grew up thinking when I have a kid, at least it has no competition about being the cutest baby in the next generation. On Allison's (laughs) side, my baby's going to be so gross looking compared to this baby. It's It's a cute baby. It's the cutest little Gerber baby I've ever seen in my entire life. So I'm so cute. I'm at a disadvantage immediately on her side. On my side, going to be the cutest baby, also the ugliest. So, you know, honestly, good for you. I like that you set the parameters now of like, well, there's only one baby, so it'll be cute and ugly. I like to prep. I like to know what's coming. So you just have your, I, I, I appreciate that about you. I do. What, uh, why, other than my holiday stress, I'm just stressed about like, I feel like I don't have enough time before the holidays to get everything done, but I feel like that happens every year. Why do you drink? You know, I don't know. I'm not even particularly stressed about the holidays. Um, you know, you don't have to go, you don't have to leave home. I don't know. I did leave for Thanksgiving. Um, so we got that out of the way. I am going actually to Florida for (gasps) New Year's though. Why? Um, Because my dad has a house down there and it survived the hurricane. So he's like, come on Mm. down. And I'm like, okay. And my brother's going. So I was like, I want to (laughs) go. I've never heard you celebrating New Year's before. I don't really ever. I don't know. I don't think we ever really did much. I used to go to Chicago every year to like Blaze's friend's house and like we would go out, but we're too old for that now. (laughs) <laughs> oh, meanwhile, I like oh, my friends literally I'm today talking, texted like, me clubbing like I was like, um, you know, and we would like walk around with like out any clothes on basically in like negative 18 degrees in Chicago. Now I'm like, let's be inside. <laughs> let's be indoors. I don't really want to go outside for that. Um, 
So I'm going to Florida where it's nice and warm. <laughs> My friends literally today texted me a list of all the bars we're going to go to yeah. on New Year's. I mean, we'll probably do. Well, I don't know. We'll see. I like to go out for New Year's, but I feel like like in L.A., I would always go to the place, the bar down the street and last year my or the last time my cousin came and we went out and i don't know but nothing too wild like we like I, you know club is not my jam where not in florida unless you don't want to triangulate no yourself. no yeah uh fort myers area i don't <gasps> they have a minor league team do they what is it called the mighty muscles <laughs> that's really good yeah <laughs> and the muscles are like the, the animal but also like your muscles oh the muscle oh my god that's amazing. I didn't even get the the double entendre there. Um, oh, you know, I love when you say double I entendre. I know. That's why I said it. Uh, but yeah, so he has just like a small little condo there and um, nice. we've never been. It's so I was like, well, all right, you know, I'll bring you your mail. Uh, it'll require an extra <laughs> carry on suitcase. But are you um, abandoning your sweet little baby or are you no, bringing her with you? We're all coming. And, and Blaze's birthday is January 2nd. So I think we're going to stay down there for that and, you know, do a little birthday celebration down there. I so I did know Blaze's birthday was the second and my first thought for some reason which is not in your character but my first thought was oh you're gonna go to Florida and leave your husband on his birthday to watch the baby <laughs> honestly he'd be like okay I guess you know whatever <laughs> like I feel like at this rate the, the amount of times I say by the way tomorrow I have to go to California or Canada or somewhere else he'd be like uh, okay like nothing surprises what him a anymore. good man what a good I, man he is very patient and um, I'm a very patient Capricorn so I do appreciate that that um and he is also very patient speaking of holidays when we are thrown into everybody's different house and now that my other set of parents are divorced now we have like three or four houses every i mean it yeah yeah, like you get it it's just a lot i totally get it that's that is a lot Um, but um like you said i the vampires can come here but they can't come into well they can come in my room but i'm still gonna be sleeping in there so you're spooky enough that you're into it it's okay yeah they can uh, whatever you know have a good time just be quiet i got a question for you what are you drinking today oh i'm drinking um an iced coffee from sitwell's which is the coffee shop that i used to go to when i was younger in, in near my mom's house um and while I'm triangulating and uh I just I was like oh my gosh they deliver on DoorDash so I got a little sandwich I got a little iced coffee Eva has me putting half and half in my iced coffee she didn't do this on purpose this is just something that she does and now I copy her so oh well trendsetter yeah so I'm gonna Um, be kind of a buzzing because this is like my third coffee today Oh, for a second, I, I was like, girl, it's like 10 in the morning. Relax. Uh, but it's not for you. <laughs> not quite. It's almost two. So I got to get this down before my caffeine cut off at four. I got to tell you, my um, I have a new drink at Starbucks, which <gasps> I still love my London Fox. Please don't get me wrong. And I I, I do often, as in today, have a uh, Arnold Palmer. Although I can't. I'm trying to find um, other things that won't give me heartburn anymore. The and sugary. wow, the Ar- Arnold Palmer surely does. Um so I still drink my London Fogs, but they don't have it on delivery. So oh. on like any, like they never have it on Uber Eats or anything. And so I've been like, oh man, well, I just never get Starbucks delivered because I don't know what to get unless I want heartburn. And then I get my Arnold Palmer. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure this is like something everyone else knows and I'm so behind, but I do want to advocate real quick for the vanilla cream, the hot vanilla cream. Have you heard of this? Excuse it- me? It sounds gross. But yes, I, it does. Anytime someone throws the word cream in, I'm like, mm. yeah. but especially uh, hot cream. 
I think it's the hot that does it Mm -hmm. to me. I'm like, I don't know about that. Well, because sometimes if I didn't say hot, then I think a lot of people mistake it for the vanilla cream frappuccino, Frappuccino. which is obviously cold. Um, But they have a hot drink called the vanilla cream, and it's their take on a hot chocolate, but it's basically a hot vanilla. And it's very good. I really don't think it's anything beyond like milk and vanilla syrup. It's, But I'm telling you, I drank it and I was like, this is like the nicest, like... It's, it was like a, it really did taste like a hot chocolate, but vanilla flavored. It, it was very tasty. weird. It was if I would say um, I think it's also often meant for as like a caffeine free option for kids for because yeah. <laughs> it had um, like kids size of like be, before tall and before grande. So I was like, <laughs> really? oh, okay, so a lot of moms so you were probably like, uh, Trenta, please. <laughs> <laughs> I did want a Trenta, um, but. Uh, yeah, if I, apparently a lot of moms are probably already on the vanilla cream train. But if you didn't know about it or if you always, like, scrolled past it on your menu and you're like, what is this? I haven't even heard of it. Worth it. Well, I'm so always worth coffee. It. But you don't drink coffee, so you're, you're like, the anti-coffee I'm club. There's, I have such a limited variety of things I can get at Starbucks that aren't coffee-based. So Yeah, that makes um, sense. Oh, wow. If you're like kind of sick of linen fogs, you maybe alternate between that and a vanilla cream. And I'm telling you, it's it's so good. It sounds delicious. Um, It sounds like I'll never order it except maybe for my child but it or you. But it sounds good. I mean, yeah, Leona and I are going to have a good time. Maybe I put a couple shots of espresso in there. I'd take a a stab at it. I'm serious. That does sound good, though, (laughs) now that I say it out loud. (laughs) I think next time we're together, I get one and you take a little sippy and you tell me what you think. Yeah, I'm sure it sounds it's sounds delicious when you describe it um it's just the wording hot I know. cream it sounds like it should be curdled you know i'm like that is true a... i yeah hot cream also there's the, the gross euphemisms to that as well so oh yeah there's um, that too there's a layered it's a layered <laughs> it's a double it's a triple entendre it's, or something it, ah! <laughs> it's it's an onion of a an onion it's, of a drink yeah that's um, a, that's what we always wanted an onion of a drink um but real if you quick, like hot oh. chocolate it's vanilla version so that's all you needed. The know. other day, real quick, I was on the airplane and we were heading home from uh, um, from Connecticut and mm-hmm. we flew from Boston to Cincinnati and um, the guy next to us ordered, it was like me blazing the baby. And so the guy next to us ordered, a, he's like, do you have hot chocolate? And he was probably like 40 or something. And they were like, no, we don't have hot chocolate. And what he's a- like, and then he said, okay, can I have an apple juice? And they were like, sure. And were they, you just like looking into my future? I, I, I what? A hundred percent. Cause <laughs> we ended up talking to him and he has a baby like a couple months younger than Leona. And I was like, dude, cause then they, he was across the aisle. They came to us and we were both like beer, gin and tonic, please. And we were like, <laughs> holding an infant. And I was like, dude, you're off the clock. Like your baby's not even here. You should be, you know, partying it out. I know, but that'll be me without my baby. That is one you day. partying it up. Yeah, he was like, I'll have an apple juice. And I was like, okay, how sweet is that? Like, <laughs> Oh, I'm glad someone maybe thinks I'm endearing instead of It sad. was endearing. And then Blaze and I were like, beer, please. Beer, beer. <laughs> you know, the world can seem so shameful to people who don't drink alcohol. I understand. I've, I mean, I don't understand the plight of people who are going through sobriety, but I do know what they're talking about when they say, like, there's just so few options out there yeah, after I, like I stop drinking. It must be really hard. And I feel like even for you... Or my dad or like a lot of people I know who don't drink, it's, you know, they're not recovering. They just never drank. Like they just never were into it. You just get real comfortable with like a pineapple juice. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I I wonder, like you probably get, I don't know if you get asked, but like I've seen my dad get asked like, oh, do you not drink anymore? Like, 
You I know, have people, been asked. People yeah, that are asked, like, like, oh, are they recovering? And I'm like, no. Nah, I also he... feel really bad because someone will see that and I think assume that I'm also going through yes, recovery exactly. because then they'll come up to me and go like oh my god i've been clean for this long or i've been sober for this long they either and I'm think like, you're sober like you're recovering or they think that you are a huge pothead which cracks me up i feel like those are yeah. the two things people are like wow you must just be smoking all the time and i'm like no i cover both those bases for and <laughs> m just kind of drinks pineapple juice i feel like i i appreciate that people think i've got to like get my fun from somewhere because it's just i'm unnaturally fun yeah, what's so your vice Chocolate I've got milk, a lot, man. So. <laughs> Chocolate milk and like I don't know, three AM impulse purchases. That's kind of it. That's my Listen, vibe. I mean, I get it. It's it's still a fun life. I'm sure it's a good time. I mean, I and I I usually I would say milkshakes, but I'm not kidding everybody. Like the older I get, this lactose intolerance thing is really keeping me from enjoying my own mm. tea milkshake. Every time I take one sip, all of a sudden I'm like clearing my throat for the next five days. So you know, I was listening to old episodes uh, when we were oh we stayed at the Driscoll Hotel, which we hadn't really talked about yet, and I listened to oh, yeah. episode was it eighteen or it was like thirty something thirty two maybe, and it was you know back in my old apartment it was one of our first like a, one of our early episodes obviously and it was so funny because the whole time you were like mm. <laughs> oh <laughs> Your god poor throat i was like oh god em has not figured out what is causing this horrible sound to come out of their body all of my my health ailments are really uh, just the foreshadowing on every episode it's there's fascinating something. to listen to those old and we were I like i wonder hey, what's gonna happen can... in this episode that one day i'll we'll be foreshadowing for something else it's like a time capsule for all our future problems um, <laughs> Probably you'll become an alcoholic or something, and we'll be like, "Well, wasn't that nice back in the day when?" M You're like, "Oh, drink. remember when I was really advocating for pineapple juice and chocolate yeah. milk?" Yeah. <laughs> Those were the days. Yeah. Well, uh, I will say, being uh, being fully uh, straight edge has actually probably hurt me more in the in the heartburn world because if I'm not drinking juice, that's like that's like half of my intake, and my heart hurts. Yeah, all but the like time. people, that's what wine is, you know. Wine oh, does okay, not feel right, good right. on on heartburn either. So, okay. um, I would I would say you're probably only helping yourself. And I be I believe everyone who drinks, and probably everyone who doesn't drink, would agree with me that you're doing yourself a lot of favors being straight edge. I promise. So, I, the irony will be when I go to a doctor one day and they're like, "Your liver is fucked your, up," your and I'll liver. be like, "What? <laughs> your pineapple juice has really corroded <laughs> your body away." <laughs> it will be the propranolol that that probably takes me out for well, then once it'll take me all. out right with you. Okay, so we're both going down together. It's fine. Anyway, sorry. I know that was way long rant but um yeah i told no, you i had so much coffee i know well also, no that does make me feel good that uh someone maybe saw me getting like a capri sun one time and thought mm -hmm. it was cute instead of like no i found i found it endearing and i said i wish i could be that person but i need booze right now <laughs> i know that sounds really bad and people are like you're with your child don't worry we had one beer and honestly we were anytime anytime someone gets a drink and they have their child with them i'm like get to like yeah I, I know I don't understand, but I understand enough. I'm I like, gotta say, I was <laughs> on the plane once, like exactly, like you get it, it to a certain extent. You know enough people who are in that position where you're like, I get it. I was on the plane once, and there was a woman next to me, and she sat down and she said, "I just want to apologize up front. My son has autism and like can be really, you know, have a hard time on planes." And I was like, "Okay, well, you're sitting next to the right person. Like, let's go. Yeah, you know, good, it doesn't yeah. phase me." And she's like, "You know, if he kind of gets in your space, I apologize." And I said. Oh, whatever you know let's fucking go i'm uh, he's watching mickey mouse club i'm all over it let's party did you, did you share a bottle of wine together or anything so because we were like way in the back and it took forever for them to get to us and uh they finally got to the back and um 
she the, the flight attendant says, "Can I get you anything?" She goes, two margaritas, please, for herself." <laughs> <laughs> but like since we were, you know, in just the 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 plebe section of the plane um they were like well that'll be like 16 dollars," and i was like please step aside i had these free drink vouchers that i never get to use on my delta app and i was like i'm using my free drink vouchers on you and the whole time she's like thank you so much i'm like it's i literally had a coupon like it didn't i didn't actually pay for your beverages but But i felt like probably still thinks about it was really sweet i was like i felt like i was doing the smallest thing possible that i could do but um, but they were lovely and uh, I got to watch some Mickey Mouse. So, you know, it was a good flight. And and then I was like, fuck it. I'll get a margarita too, man. Let's yeah. party. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Anyway, uh, sorry. But, go on. No, no, no. All I was going to do was probably keep the circular conversation going. I love where I just it. List drinks that I like. Uh, anyway, if you are, happen to be also uh, just sidebar on top of not drinking alcohol, I also don't like coffee, so that takes away a whole other category. That I feel like coffee and wine are two like huge parts of um, most people's lives. Yeah, <laughs> or at least mine. So. Well, then also a lot of people I've gotten like shade before where people are like, "Why do you wake up so late?" Because I mean, ten o'clock for me is early. Usually, honestly, if if I wake up. My, I always try to wake up before 11. I, I feel really gross about myself if I sleep past 11. But people are like, why don't you wake up earlier? And then I, I've i said one time in passing in front of one of them, like, oh, I, well, I don't drink coffee. And they went, oh, that's why earlier you said you don't wake up early. And I was like, ah, I guess that could be a reason. But also I just it is, love sleep more than anything else on Earth. Sometimes I go to bed feeling ecstatic about the coffee i will have the next morning like i like i get excited about my cup of coffee that's coming in the morning so maybe that would be an incentive but also like i also don't like to get up early and coffee helps but it doesn't like fix the problem so i would say maybe it fixes that person's problem and they were like oh that makes sense and i was like okay guy like first of all good for heartburn so like again you're mm. doing yourself a favor but no, I'm very, uh, I'm, I will say I'm very, very lucky that I'm in a position and very privileged that I'm in a position where I can work on my own hours. And maybe I'm just not most people who do nine to five. Maybe I work from seven o'clock at night to 3 a.m. And you know what? I still get the work done. Uh, but I just wake up a little later than everybody. And so that's get okay. Over it. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, but no, I, yeah, it's, it's an interesting I have to find what I can find, and sometimes it's that hot vanilla cream, you know? <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to imbibe. Oh, well, now that we've talked about different li- uh, liquids for the last 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Let's move on. Okay. Okay. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant 
and cushions with easy assembly and disassembly. This is the perfect thing for your outdoor space. They also just launched a new standing desk, Copilot, with adjustable height, a durable scratch-resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever. I'm in the market for a new desk, um, so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark. And of course, there's Burroughs Legacy seating collections like the Nomad and Range, now available in new colors. And M and I, that's like the only piece of furniture I think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department. Love that thing. And that's why we drink listeners can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind, especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things, but Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. Let's talk about a story that I swear I already can feel the comments coming because uh, I swear we've covered this story. Oh, you did we this have... last time. I know, but we I swear we've covered the story before. We have not. We covered it on sinisterhood or they covered it with us when we did our guest swap Ooh, okay i think it was sinisterhood um uh what is it it's the greenbrier ghost the greenbrier ghost yeah that one the greenbrier ghost um which i also think you maybe mentioned um this is why i think i i feel like we've covered it on the show before is do you remember there was i think a halloween special where we swapped stories and you did like a few little ghost stories or oh i think oh, you oh i did yes it yes i, yes, I think yes. you mentioned it and you did like a, a smaller recap of it but this is the long story of it okay this is because i did the um was it ouija board stories or something that must have been it that yeah. something like that but it was also because... long a long time ago it was, but I was like, I swear to God, I have heard you talk about this before. But then I got caught up on like, oh, maybe it was because when we did our guest swap, maybe that's why. But anyway, we have never covered it personally okay. on this show, other than uh, your other than when version. I did it. Okay. <laughs> and then I said, I'll do you one better. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it will be better. So it's fine. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, I was like, I was driving me crazy. I was like, I know this has been discussed. So 
this does happen to be called the Greenbrier Ghost because it's in Greenbrier County in West Virginia. Have you ever been to Greenbrier, especially the resort in Greenbrier? County? No, but I lived in the Greenbrier with Allison Goforth, um, which was the apartment uh, complex that we lived in in Washington, D.C. So I feel like that is more elite than anything you're about to talk about. It was full of cockroaches. Hey, so is my place. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> apparently, I live in the Greenbrier. Also, Christine, my my dad, when my parents were separated, the first apartment complex he lived in was called the Greenbrier. No way. Also, to triangulate his self was it in, in the nineties. Uh, no, it was in Fredericksburg. Oh, okay. Um, wow, must be just a popular name over there. I guess. Not. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> it does sound somewhat regal, and it's always used for Roachville apartment complex. I was going to say it's one of those like fancy names that kind of just doesn't mean much of anything. Maybe? No, but the the Greenbrier, I, I'm 99% sure, but now I'm paranoid that I'm talking out of my ass. So hang on. Greenbrier. Um, yes. Okay. Okay. So I'm not wrong. Okay. So the Greenbrier Resort. I went there as a little kid. It was one of the first ghost experiences I had. Oh, you've told me about this. Is this the one with like where the kitchen... The- Mm-hmm. the pots yeah. and pans oh my god yeah so we were the only people on the floor unbeknownst to us and i was sleeping on the floor because i was like a little kid and they gave us a cot and we were next to the kitchen and you could hear the pots and pans banging mm. all night long and then the next day i had mentioned it to somebody and they're like oh the, that actually that's been a closed kitchen for years like that's, oh geez. people don't use that kitchen you know um, you told that story when deirdre was on the episode like way back in the day wow that was episode 19 wow that was wow. pre me ever meeting allison that's a crazy time uh, listen and now i'm telling you all about uh, allison's in my past at the green I love it. yeah what was your setup in that apartment complex um i lived in i slept in the living room we turned it into it was literally a living room and i just put up like an ikea shelf and slept behind the shelf that's sad. <laughs> it was sad. It was very sad. And then our other roommate would watch TV all night, and I, it was like two feet from my head. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to drive me absolutely nuts. Oh, God. Uh, and okay. also, if you want it to be even sadder, all of us joined Weight Watchers at the same time. And like, Wow. So it was just catty. Just like the most pathetic, sad apartment of all time. Um, <laughs> not due to me, because I said, hey, everyone, let's do Weight Watchers together. Like, wow. Ouch. No, never again. Um, anyway, let's well, get back to your thing. <laughs> right. Well, so the Greenbrier Resort, also, I have mentioned it before, but they have the, the old bunkers there. And... Oh. So you can do the bunker tour. I think last time I was there, they still did the bunker tours, but it was where like the president was supposed to go. If there was ever like an actual like bomb <gasps> threat on the nation or something, Scary. Um, like nuclear war. And, but you could, it's, it was so trippy to go through. Cause it looked like it was a big, like underground town <gasps> and like, Oh geez. It was super like, there was like different rooms. I mean, realistically they looked like cells for beds it like because it was not super pretty but it did keep you alive i guess and they showed like where all the bulk food was and all the storage space was and like the the conference meeting rooms where they would have to like deliberate if something was going on but it was it was definitely worth your time if you are a tourist in greenbrier i'm sure if you are local there you've been dragged to the bunker tour yeah probably (laughs) but if you're uh like that person's aunt and you're in town make them bring you to the green bear bunker tour <laughs> if you're the aunt of the person who's been dragged there make them go <laughs> yeah. one more time one more time that's all it takes so uh anyway when i hear Greenbrier ghosts that's the first thing i think of because they the resort was very open about how haunted they were and they kept mentioning the Greenbrier ghosts. so uh so 
Greenbrier County is in southeast West Virginia along the Appalachian Mountains on the Virginia border. Uh, so I feel like we're hugging with West Aww. Virginia in this story. And Greenbrier County in 1900, the population was 20,000. Okay. Oh. And in today's world, there's 35,000. So Okay. Wow. So it's, it's pretty big back then still. I mean. It was pretty big back then and really hasn't changed in size all that much. Yeah. Um. Although I think there's a, a fun fact about like what actually determines if you're a small town or not. And I think like 40,000 is the, oh, okay. the, the indicator. So it's technically still small c- town. Because mm-hmm. I looked it up and that's about the size of uh, Fredericksburg is, is okay. just under 35,000. So fun fact. That was the population of cockroaches at the Greenbrier too. So they, <laughs> I guess they did have their own small town. Inside. Well, apparently they all hopped onto Allison's back and rode her to Los Angeles. Yeah. And now they're all here. So. <laughs> that's so thoughtful. Or they hopped on mine. I came first <laughs> and uh, brought them over here. So, you know, who knows? Thank you for your service, cockroaches. You're so welcome. And you. So, uh... So in 1900, the population was about 20,000. And in 1876, not too far before that, uh, Elva Zona Heaster was born. And oh, she yeah. went she went by her middle name, Zona. And she lived with her mom uh, in or near Crawley, West Virginia. And Crawley in 1900, just to give you an idea of how small it was, was actually considered a holler because it was smaller than a town and it was a small unofficial community. And I guess the, what determines you being a town or not is if you have at least a population of 300. Oh, um, because then you're officially on the census. Wow. So if you're under 300, you're a hauler. And so at, it, it wasn't on the census in 1900. So I'm assuming it had to be less than 300 people living there in Crawley. Mm-hmm. And by the way, today's population is around 1,100. So now it is on the census. Good for them. Good for them. They made it. Uh, so we don't know much about Zona's early life, but uh, we think she might have had a non-marital kid. Okay. Um, which would explain why she was known to be targeted for a lot of gossip and shame by the other people in town. Sure. So, and I guess we're, we're putting two and two together that that might have been the story there. Um, so... She was born in 1876, and in 1861, so quite an age gap, her future husband, Erasmus Stribling Shoe, was born. Oh, my God. I remember this from Sinisterhood. We just came up with all all the weirdo names. He I, had all sorts I remember of weird names. We had a lot of comments about his name. Erasmus. I mean, I don't know an Erasmus these days, but I feel like someone would have a comment. I don't know. Maybe it's the comments that it's a great name, but yeah. I don't think we said that on Sinisterhood. I don't think so either. <laughs> okay. Also, he's um, like a shitty guy. So I think we also kind guy. of hated him. <laughs> we, we were allowed to lean into it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as an adult, Erasmus is, uh, he moves to Greenbrier. He lived in the neighboring county, which Wasn't is called- was his name Fish? You'll, we'll get there. Okay. I felt like maybe I made, made that up in my head. So I just wanted to check. Okay. I think you that's are... what we focused on. I don't think we focused on Erasmus. I think we focused on the fish part. Anyway. I think you're right. Um, We'll get there for sure. So as an adult, he moved to Greenbrier from the neighboring county, which was called Pocahontas County. Mm. Okay. And uh, he moved to Greenbrier because he was also targeted by a lot of um, guilt and, I guess, bullying or gossip um, from his town. So he moved to Greenbrier to start over. Okay. But here's the thing. He was getting kind of a lot of shit in his county 
because mm. he was a shitty person. So, right. Like, so, right. <laughs> he was. He only wanted a new life to get away from his uh, his current reputation, which was that he was an asshole. Yeah. Right. Okay. Meanwhile, we don't know why Zona was getting bullied around, but she happened to live in Greenbrier when he moved there, and I that's see. how they found each other. Okay. So here's why he was shitty. Um, he was married two times before. First of all, he was known to be like a just raging asshole. Let's just right. start there. But in his two marriages before he ever even met Zona, he had one wife named Allie. They had a kid together, and she uh, did report that he was very abusive to her. Oof. And she only divorced him when he was in jail, um, which should tell you something, too. Yeah. But the, he happened to be in jail, fun fact, because he tried to steal a horse. Oh, sure. Um, so, I mean, maybe that was common back then. But to me, that sounds funky. That sounds weird. <laughs> sounds a little <laughs> off to me. <laughs> like you could steal anything else. Why a horse? Um, to be fair, he, that's like stealing a car. Oh, yeah. He was. Yeah, okay. That, you know what? Thank you for the perspective. You know what? That's what I'm here for. <laughs> That's right. He was trying. He's it was probably his getaway. He was yeah, like, well, "I'm going to steal you. it it's and then get getaway." Out of <laughs> uh, his second wife, named Lucy Ann, she uh, died after being struck in the head by a falling brick. Oh, um, I remember that. Oh no. And I don't know any more information on that. I don't know how the brick fell or what what the situation was, but she it could have just been bad luck that mm. it just happened. Um, and weirdly enough, that only happened a year before Shu not just met Zona but married Zona. So he very quickly moved on from mm -hmm. his his wife, who was very suddenly died. Mm -hmm. There is one report um, from the 1960s that claims that Ali. Uh, the first wife also died suspiciously. This one was that she fell from a hayloft, which. Oh, so, but so it, the point is that there are rumors that both of his wives mysteriously died. And then he left town and then he left town okay, after being claimed to be abusive. But there are several other records besides that one that says his first wife outlives him. So, oh, OK, so I don't totally Mysterious. know that, but maybe for the, the lore, it's supposed to, you know, make it sound like he's worse than he is. Mm hmm. But um, anyway, so Shu moves to Greenbrier. He's working as a blacksmith, and he's working not even 15 miles away from Crawley, which is where Zona lives. Mm -hmm. um, and at, at this job is where he gets his nickname, Trout. Oh, <laughs> I kept saying fish. I so know. So stupid. I was like, you're almost there. I was like, good for me. Like patting myself on the back. <laughs> you have such a good memory. What is wrong with me? I actually was impressed because I, I had to read the notes to be like, oh, yeah, Trout. I forgot about that. It's a fish. His name was Fish. Well, you uh, said shoe and remember pants well, from last week. I just it got in my head, you know. You know, I forgot about pants, but I didn't. I'm embarrassed. I forgot about pants. Well, I'm um, here to remind you. Remember, I'm that's what I'm here for. Well, yeah, we did make fun of the fact that his full name then was Trout Shoe. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Trout Shoe. Which is, by the way, that's a fish flop. <laughs> I feel like that's I'm genius. Just and the, there is the chance that we said that on Sinisterhood. And so if you've listened to that and you're like, you literally made that joke last time. <laughs> Sorry, but like it's so good. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I made it last time because I would have been like, I'll have to explain. What I a think fish maybe is. I said it. I feel like. I feel like. I feel like we talked about it, but maybe not. Maybe well, not. just know in hindsight, maybe I should have named my shoes Erasmus something. Or so, 
Erasmus and Zona. Oh but, my god. Um, anyway, it's trout shoe. It's so good. it's good stuff. That's probably the most creative thing I'm ever going to say for the next week. So genuinely me, excellent stuff. <laughs> let me just ride that high for a second. Yeah, go for it. Uh, okay, I'll report the rest of this with a big goofy, stupid smile on my face because oh, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> So, uh, Trout and Zona in 1896, they meet and then they get married that October. So very quick. I also don't know enough about 1896 to tell you what like the etiquette was for courtships at the time, but I guess you would get married pretty quickly. Well, yeah. And like, um, it doesn't sound like they were in any like elite circles, social circles where you, you know, right. They were, I bet they really, when they first met bonded over the fact that they were outcasts and well, sure. Yeah. And I mean, they both had kids, right. Or did, do we not know if she had kids? I don't know if she had a kid like confidently i don't know if she had okay, a kid but okay. i do know that he had a kid with his first wife but it also sounds like it's he like probably he left, left that kid, kid. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like he's really concerned about taking care <laughs> right. so okay all right sorry so it's just the two of them also if nobody likes them that's an easy ma- that's an easy wedding to plan you know yeah just... that's how you and i met we were like hey nobody likes us let's uh <laughs> let's talk all day there's nobody knows us there's a difference oh, oh sorry i get that confused because for me they it's pretty similar but well so they meet that or they meet that year and they get married in october and there is one person who is not for this wedding and it is zona's mom <gasps> mother hates. knows best mother knows best hates this man uh-oh that's not a good sign i mean she, it depends on your mother i guess because she probably could have just been like girl his name is fish flop you know <laughs> like get the hint take the universe's red flag and run <laughs> so she was super against it her name was mary and only a few months later like after by christmas or after christmas and they married in october so two months into their marriage zona gets really sick and she couldn't even get a diagnosis from the doctor she basically just kind of was on bed rest oh, um, no. and some of the neighbors thought that she was maybe pregnant um and remember they remember trout as being a doting husband at this time but then Mm -hmm. again i am aware that people can make themselves look different appearances yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but zona only got worse and it got to a point where she couldn't even get up and (gasps) do normal household chores while trout was at work she just like couldn't couldn't keep it together um the last week of january so now this is only like a full three months into their marriage trout leaves for work and on his way he stopped by the neighbors and the neighbor's name was martha jones apparently she was very well loved in town very respected they called her aunt martha i was gonna say they called her miss martha but aunt martha is good too aunt martha's good too uh she just uh this does come into play later, so please bear with me, fellow anti-racists. But Aunt Martha was a black woman, mm. and she has a. I'm just saying, bear with me before I, you think I sound like my parents or something, where I'm just addressing random facts about the people's a like race, right? Or yeah. like, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, so and so is gay. Okay, and like, what exactly. does that have to do with the story? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I got you. I got you. Okay, so Aunt Martha was a black woman, and she had a tween i don't know his exact age but let's a say tween. 11 or 12 <laughs> she had a tween okay <laughs> was, when was the last time you heard someone use like, that <laughs> two seconds ago and that might like, have been the first when i was last. <laughs> when i was a tween yeah uh so okay his name was andrew or anderson but a lot of sources were just rocking with andy so mm-hmm, let's do that mm-hmm. um and trout told aunt martha and andy 
uh, that Zona was way too sick to work um, at in their house today, and she was probably just going to be in bed all day. So he asked um, Aunt Martha if her son Andy would head over to the house eventually and help Zona collect eggs from their chicken coop. Mm. And then also said, while you're there, if there's anything else she needs help with, can you Uh-oh. do the chores? Um, and Andy said that he had his own stuff that he had to do that day, but he would get over there eventually that day before um, Trout came home from work. Trout did not <laughs> what like a tw- this. What a responsible tween, though. Like, I've actually got a lot of errands to run today, but I will get over there to help your wife well, with her. Why is this little kid responsible for the other neighbor's house? Genuinely, I feel like, like, it doesn't seem, yeah. Maybe someone else beat Trout to it. And he's like, I've got like four other houses I'm apparently responsible for today. <laughs> so I'll get to you later, Trout. Got a long list. Yeah, exactly. So apparently, I think, I don't know. He was just like, I've got something else going on. I'll catch you later, said the 12 year old. <laughs> and. So, uh, Trout really had a problem with this. Uh, it got like he was like, "You need to go check on Zoe." Oh shit! Okay. Um, and later that day, he even stops by the Joneses' house multiple times that day, four times that day to be exact. Jesus, to check if Andy has left yet to go. Okay, you are just a fucking terrible liar. It's yeah, exactly. It's like one of those like the murderer can't stay away from his own crime scene or something. It's yeah, like, or like he's just being so fucking obvious. Like, have you gone to check? Because I can't do it. It's like, well, you've been here four times. Don't you have the time to go get eggs out of the fucking chicken coop? Exactly. Like, what are you telling your boss that you're able to leave your blacksmith job four times? It's just you know. It's like you're clearly you could be more useful than to just bother this tween every 10 minutes. But also, like, yeah, I'm sure this very responsible tween was able to think of, like, the time management skills. And he was like, um, the four times you've come here, you could have collected your own fucking eggs. all the eggs that you needed. Yeah. Yeah. Or like you could have gotten them later. Who cares? So um, anyway, there he's freaking out. He's like, have you checked on Sona? And some say because we all know where the story is heading to be clear you are in the right headspace if you're assuming what the rest of us are assuming um some say that trout just wanted andy to get over there before he did so that way trout could have some sort of alibi of being at work Mm -hmm. even though he was apparently with (laughs) andy the whole time um but he this is the this is where I also mentioned that he could have wanted to put Andy at the scene of the crime and it would have been way easy to point fingers at a young black boy, I especially see. in rural West Virginia. I see. I see. I see. Um, and so anyway, that's kind Super of the, the main idea of what was going on here, especially because he was a kid. He probably wouldn't be able to defend himself well and all this Great. stuff. So eventually Andy does go check on Zona. He's like, for fuck's sake, Trout. I guess that's not what the tween said, but in his mind, <laughs> in his mind uh, he thought it. Yeah, yeah. We know he thought it. We all thought <laughs> so, it. Jesus Christ, Trout. <laughs> you stupid fish flop. And so uh, he heads over there. He goes to check on Zona and he's knocking on the door, but no one answers. And so oh, eventually, boy. concerned, he walks on inside. Um, and on the floor, he finds Zona dead with her. <gasps> this is a, a weird sighting. Her feet are... Uh, for are pressed together. Um, she has one arm at her side, one arm across her stomach, and her head tilted at a very odd angle. Oh God! Um, Andy runs home, and Aunt Martha uh, runs home to his mom. Aunt Martha, and Aunt Martha runs to Zona. Well, oh. uh, and she tells Andy go find Trout at work and tell him what's happened. So, oh. um, Trout 
comes back home from work and he shows up just around the same time that Martha actually gets to the house too. So, um, Dr. George Knapp shows up at the house. He's also the one who had been doing Zona's house calls when they said she was sick. Oh yeah. And so he was probably the most experienced in, you know, her, her medical history or her recent medical history. Uh, he gets there an hour after everybody else and he tries to resuscitate Zona and, he ends up saying the quote, it is an everlasting faint. Her heart has failed. Well, that's fucking dramatic. Very dramatic. An everlasting um, faint. That's what I call my naps when I feel like I went to another realm. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I had one yesterday and I was like, I know I wasn't on earth for you the last hour. You escaped your body. Yeah. You left your husk <laughs> I behind. I yeah. truly, my, I was finally successful. Uh, it was like the beginning of one of those horror movies where the soul can't get back to its body. I was gonzo. I was so (laughs) anyway, it was an everlasting faint. So he did, however, this doctor, he did note that trout had already moved Zona's body by the time he got there. How nice. Great. And he had changed her clothes. Ew. He had changed her into a dress with a stiff high collar Uh around the neck. Mysterious. Interesting. A high collar around the weird head tilts that she's got going on. Interesting. It was particularly weird because I guess the etiquette or the tradition or the custom of the time is that the women in the community would have prepared her body for funeral or for a burial. It's kind of weird that, yeah, it is weird. I feel like that would be something that her mother would have done or Or wanted to be involved in, like wanted to help with. It just seems odd that before the doctor arrived you'd be like let me get her dressed in a different outfit well like a, also like the outfit for her funeral and within an hour of her being oh dead. yeah yeah that's true that's gross you know what i mean nothing good and i guess that was one of his excuses for the doctor when he was like we have to perform an autopsy he probably was just like oh well she's already dressed she's already dressed i'm sorry it's like ugh, it took me a lot you. to put this dress on this i know uh, deceased person <laughs> sick uh also trout uh oh the doctor sorry i wrote the wrong name there so the doctor he wanted a closer look at her because he was like this is already funky this whole situation something's going on at least he's got like the wherewithal to to sense that you know yeah he was like i want to take a closer look at her but not only had trout moved the body and dressed her but as the doctor came in and until he left held zona's head in his lap and refused to let it go and refused anyone to get near her face trout did trout did Uh, yeah okay well so he's very protective of the part mm-hmm. of her that might be suspicious um, interesting even when the doctor at least tried to move the collar to get a look at her neck mm. he was like absolutely not you're not going to get close enough to look at her Mm-mm. nap did notice discoloration on her cheek um i would argue that once you're dead though maybe the maybe that's already beginning or something like that so yeah. i don't know I don't know how much information that gave him, but before anything else Trout could notice or anything the doctor could notice, um, Trout insisted that the doctor leave the body alone and to never perform an autopsy. And Mm. the doctor was like, that tracks, I guess, and didn't do it with autopsy. Maybe he didn't have the, he probably didn't have the um, jurisdiction to be like, yeah, maybe he was like, do one. I mean, maybe it's a consent thing i think it probably is even maybe even now because i know that now when someone passes you know there's like a chain of command as far as are they cremated you know that kind of thing so i wonder if it's like well no it's my wife and i don't want an autopsy i bet he there's probably not much he could do yeah i don't know so it's um 
anyway i guess he said no autopsy and the doctor went okay goodbye yikes um here's an odd thing though that i feel like we should focus more on this and it I don't, I'm, my guess is that the doctor got paid off to be, to leave the body alone. Oh, okay. Because, and there's no proof of that. This is totally my thought on this because we never get an explanation for it. But the doctor says that her cause of death is listed as childbirth. Even, even though there is no evidence of a pregnancy, labor, or baby. What? And even in his own words, he said it was heart failure. An everlasting faint. Her heart has failed. Uh, hell? So I think that's weird. Or maybe like he gave a different cause of death that's and like the, the files were written up differently somehow. I don't that's know who. sketchy. And we never get an answer about that. I just think it's so weird. It is weird. It's very weird. So at Zona's wake, it was hosted in their home and Trout never leaves her side. And by her side, I mean his literal spot next to her head. Mm-hmm. Not only was he guarding it, but he had put cloth on either side of her head so that it wouldn't move, and it actually kept her head tilted in that weird way. Oh, God. I, In hindsight, I'm wondering if it's because he couldn't move it back. But um, Jesus Christ, that's sick. And his reasoning, if anyone asked him about it, was because it made her more comfortable. Ew! Mm-hmm. What is... I, fuck this guy, seriously. Keep in mind, not only was he being fishy about her head, but even Andy, the little kid, reported her head being tilted at the crime scene mm-hmm. in a very weird way. So people know that her head looks weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people knew something was up, including Zona's mother, who never liked Trout. Mm-hmm. And her mother actually uh, somehow got Trout to agree that she could have a sheet from the casket um to take home with her and she noticed a few days later that it smelled really bad and i still don't understand what science could have caused this i don't know that information but she said the sheet smelled really bad so she went to wash it or put it in like a bath with water and it turned blood red all of a sudden Mm. that part feels paranormal and also maybe like a dramatic flair yeah i was gonna say maybe a little bit leading into m's favorite word lore uh, mm. but okay pretend we're around a campfire and i'm gonna say it again oh okay i'll tr- let me hold on crackle okay. crackle 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 pop pop you know sometimes it pops mm. okay she puts the sheet in a bat in a bin of water and it turned blood red <gasps> Hmm. i don't know what to tell you about that, that better yeah okay and this sheet uh not only turned blood red but it slowly faded to pink and no cleaning could ever make it white again. Cool. I hate that. That's the scary part for like the person who does the laundry in the house. Who's like, no, I can't bleach it. (laughs) Not even bleach. I mean, that's not good. So, uh, because of this, I mean, this is a crucial part of the story. I don't, I really don't know what the actual thing must've been. Maybe she saw some blood on it when she got a closer look at it and couldn't get the stain out. Who knows? Yeah. Can't get the stain out. So she went to bed praying for an answer about what the fuck was going on. What happened to her daughter? It was so random that she, you know, that something happened. Um, and she woke up to the ghost of her daughter, Zona pacing her room (sighs) and she went to even touch her. 
at Sippy, like, are you real? And Zona faded away. And this is so convenient because then all of a sudden her mom started praying again, being like, no, 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 come back. And Zona came back. <laughs> She's like, fine. <laughs> what a convenient ghost. So, um, so she asked Zona, she's like, tell me what happened to your body. And I guess Zona at first struggled with figuring out how to speak as a ghost, but was able to finally tell her. And not mm. only that, but came back uh, three more nights after that to debrief further. Just a long story. It's a four day conversation. That'd be exhausted. This is like when I try to have a sleepover, you try to have a sleepover with me and I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to sleep. And you're like, actually, just one more thing. I'm like, but it's it's finally my, like, my it's daytime. It's 5 a.m. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I do feel bad for people that like have like adult sleep times and I'm like, oh, it's 3 a.m. Time to like really party now. And they're like, okay, well, seriously, one time I remember you being like, now that you have a baby, you'll never have a sleepover with me again. And I'm like, "Um, I would go to bed at like midnight during our sleepovers anyway. So I don't think that... um I know, I but I had I a better. Always... I had a better chance with a, without another factor crying in the other room who you How... will prioritize over me, you know? I, you know that thing which is fair. 12 hours a night and i i feel like uh i feel like this is prime sleepover time because uh i feel like she's that's true that's a good point before she wants to get in on the sleepovers and now we've got a third crashing the party you know, know what i'm saying honestly she'll probably be the one having parties with you i'll just go to sleep I will say, I like that she sleeps during the night and I sleep during the day. So you always get a one. You always get someone, you know? You know what? Aren't I lucky? And we're just going to leave it at that. (laughs) You're so lucky. (laughs) Good for me. Also, you really should thank your, uh, count your lucky stars. Because when all of a sudden she is of sleepover age, her and me are going to have so much much fun after you go to bed and be like, we're going to drink chocolate milk. It's going to be crazy. She and I. So, um, just correct oh. your grammar before you, uh, before oh. you start a sleepover. Before I start influencing your child in the you're wrong like, ways. You're, gonna, you're like, we're going to have fun without you. And then I'm like, well, let me correct your grammar first. And you're like, yeah, I told you, <laughs> we're going to have so much fun without you. First it's grammar. And then I just influence her all the way to drugs or something. Who knows? So, yeah. Um, warm cream or whatever the fuck. <laughs> hot cream. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for proving to me, um, Ravenclaw that, you know, you're, you don't need to be at the sleepover after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna use that next time I have a sleepover with her and she's she can comprehend what I'm saying and be like you know what your mom tried to fucking tell me just you know to this keep lady. herself invited this fucking lady <laughs> okay anyway uh oh yeah they four four nights of debriefing about what happened to her and with this intel her mom then began letting everyone know around town what happened and it was kind of easy to spread. The information. First of all, it was a small town. It was like less than 300 people. And I'm West sorry, Virginia. It was a holler. Oh, it was a holler. You're right. You're right. right. Uh, Ravenclaw. And so <laughs> she. <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> you and I went to the holler. Okay. I mean, well, and you get to stay there while I That's leave. correct. Thank you. Um. So one, it was a holler. It was a very small area, like 300 people or less. And West Virginia, even then, was notoriously superstitious. So as soon as the mom started Uh saying, I'm seeing this ghost who's telling me what really happened to Trout, it wasn't that hard to Mm -hmm. convince people or to at least get the word out there. So she even convinces her brother-in-law to go with her um, to talk to an attorney named John A. Preston. And he agreed that he wanted to take on the case. And when he talked to Dr. Knapp, um, Dr. Knapp said the cause of death was potentially inaccurate and that Trout forbade an autopsy. Mm. But it's like, why are you saying that 
the cause of death is potentially inaccurate. You're the one that gave the cause of death with no information. With, as child. Well, I guess he's saying he couldn't confirm. I guess. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe this has been lost to history, but maybe Trout said something like, oh, she was, there was, you know, a, a complicated childbirth or something prior. And this is, she's. Right, right, right. Because wasn't the, there, I feel like, you know, I don't remember uh, that well, but I, wasn't there a part where he was seeing her for like a potential pregnancy, the doctor? Didn't she think uh, she might be pregnant or something? The, there was a rumor for when people start wondering why she was talked about around town. We don't know why, but for some reason we think she might have had a child that we don't know about. And it was. But I mean, like right before she died, wasn't the doctor seeing her for. The doctor her... was seeing her just because she was so sick she couldn't get out of bed and the town thought maybe. Oh, sorry, the I for some reason thought, thought that she... he had said she was pregnant or something, but I guess not. He just the, made that the, her. The rumors were circulating that she might have been pregnant because she couldn't get out of bed. Gotcha. But we never heard anything confirmed. else about that. Okay. Honestly, I wonder, that would have been a good out for Trout, though, because he could have been like, oh, well, you know, she might have been pregnant or I, it could have been anything, but we really don't know. She was just sick. People thought it was pregnancy, mm. and I'm sure he could have used that as an excuse and maybe convinced the doctor that childbirth complications were, or pregnancy complications were what caused right, it. Right, right, right. So, anyway, even the doctor was like, the cause of death is, you know, not... Unclear. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not a certainty. So, after he tells that to the lawyer... um, the lawyer then questioned others and ultimately ordered that Zona's body be exhumed, <laughs> which was totally unheard of in the area. And a bunch of locals even freaked out and like threatened like to try to get this guy arrested for doing something like that. Jeez. I also wonder if it's because West Virginia is superstitious and they thought maybe like messing with a body after death was yeah, just like I mean, not okay. It's 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 hard to get that through legislation even now not through legislation it's hard to get that through even now when you're if you're trying to exhume mm -hmm. a body like it takes a lot yeah of sway. and so uh they officially exhumed her body february 22nd uh 1897 which was only a month out of her dying okay um and luckily it was february so the ground was preserved very well and her body was preserved very well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so the doctor plus two other doctors and a five-man jury all autopsied the body at a nearby schoolhouse oh you know, you know you love a good schoolhouse now that's the schoolhouse i would be doubly interested in seeing Yes. You're like, oh, there's additional history here this is quite a lot is this this building has seen a lot I wonder if it's even if it even exists anymore. So many of them have gotten knocked down. Oh. If it is open, I got to get myself to West Virginia. If you're the aunt of somebody who's gone to this schoolhouse <laughs> many times, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> uh, so the autopsy showed what we all pretty much expected: a dislocated neck, oh, God. torn ligaments, and a crushed windpipe. Oh, poor woman. This put Trout squarely in jail at the Greenbrier County Jail for first-degree murder, um, although the evidence was circumstantial. It was just kind of, oh, well, she obviously broke her neck, and he was acting weird about it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as obvious as your story last week of a literal blood trail. So, yeah. <laughs> Right. And the, guy one... and the guy never went to jail. So, Right, exactly. So Trout um, 
another thing though is that trout reportedly bragged throughout the community that he would never get convicted of this and he didn't even try to flee because he was so confident that he wouldn't be put to jail for this that's gross i know like not even this guy i don't know what other conversations were being had but it sounds like he was not even remorseful and he wasn't even nervous that this was now the third wife of his to potentially mysteriously die and he fled town before so it's not like it would be the first time but he's like nah also this was he married her like three or four months ago like this is a fresh a brand new love like he should be so distraught so distraught. (sighs) yeah no so there's now four months later june 22nd 1897 uh the case is the state of west virginia versus es shrew or es shoe sorry i was like again another one (laughs) (laughs) uh here's a fun fact uh, that Trout had two state-assigned defense attorneys, and one of them was Jane Gardner, uh, James Gardner, who was the first black attorney to practice in a West Virginia circuit court. Oh, well, you said Jane at first. I was like, oh, a woman, and but it's not a woman, right? I, I think it's Jame with an M, Jame. Jame. So, oh, James, maybe. I was going to say, are you sure it's not just James? <laughs> it's my own stupid typo. I'm probably sorry. But no, it, it, I certainly think it would have also mentioned woman. If, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But still, that's that's cool, though. Yeah, first black attorney to practice. And I feel bad that he got the yeah, case where he had to defend people. a murderer. Yeah. Um, but during the trial, Preston kept Zona's mother from testifying. Preston was the lawyer, um, mm-hmm. the original lawyer that was helping her. Um, he kept Zona's mother from testifying because if she mentioned the ghost story, <sighs> it would discredit the trial and just be thrown out as hearsay. Yeah. But the defense uh, called her to the stand anyway, and she immediately told him the ghost story right away. <laughs> She's like, finally, someone wants to hear it. <laughs> yeah. So according to the mom, she said that Zona's ghost told her this, that the night before she was found, she was still very, very sick and had cooked trout dinner anyway. But when trout came home for work, he saw the dinner and he was mad that she didn't make him any meat with his meal. What a fucking and, asshole. I'm sorry. And, and strangled her to death. Jesus. I got nothing. It's just like so stupid. Like it's so cliche. Like it sounds like made up, you know? Like, oh yeah. It sounds it's like, oh, he's mad that he, he assaulted you because you didn't make him dinner or you didn't make it the right way. You did make dinner, just not good enough. (laughs) Like, oh yeah. And also you were already like bedridden sick, but you still found a way to cook. And then it goes that underappreciated. And then he fucking kills you. Like what? Motherfucker. I tell you. I know. So I love that I know the story a little bit beforehand because, like you said, it is really hard to bite my tongue. Like, if I didn't know what the story was, I just love that I can be like, this fucking asshole. It is is nice when we know if we're allowed to, like, to just like cast judgment. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Because I feel like you have to really bite your tongue a lot during my stories because I sometimes like, plot twist and you're like oh oops <laughs> i know i'm always like oh am i allowed to feel bad you, for this person yeah it's hard it's hard um i know and this is also very 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 like a a perfectly shared story for us it because is. it's very true crime but it is also paranormal so yes yes i feel like i'm stealing your thunder but you no, already no. You did it so <laughs> i fuck, I guess i did do it yeah i don't i clearly stole your thunder first so no you're fine uh so anyway he strangles her to death because she didn't make him any meat fantastic um and mary did the mom did not budge on her story despite the defense trying to make her look basically delusional like sure. oh you saw a ghost okay 
and this there's a paper called the Greenbrier Independent who uh, the next week wrote some of the um, dialogue that had been happening in, in the courtroom. And the defense asked, uh, this is a quote from the defense. I've heard you've had some dreams or visions that led to this postmortem examination. And then her mom said, it was no dream. She came back and told me he was mad that she didn't have no meat cooked for supper. She told me something about that meat every other night that she came. She came four times, but the second night she told me that her neck was squeezed off at the first joint and it what <gasps> and it was just as she told me. So wow. Mary told the defense uh, that one of the nights she asked Zona's ghost about the dress she was killed in and Zona allegedly turned her head completely around and looked at Mary like she wanted Mary to know all about it. Mm. I love that in like a, in a different world, this would be like just mentioning someone's dress and they turn around just to be like, Oh my God, I can't wait to say everything. I've been waiting for you to ask me. (laughs) It does have pockets. It does have pockets. (laughs) Uh, That's good. uh, So Mary said, uh, I just wanted the particulars about her death and I got them. And then she even claimed that at one point she was able to reach out and actually touch Zona without her fading away. Wow. Um, Mary even said that despite having never been to the shoe house, which by the way, that feels like a red flag to me that you've never been to your own daughter's home, but I guess they've only been living together for like three months. So, right. Right. Um, even though she'd never been to the house, Zona was able to direct her through the house and she did actually, I guess, know the path to Zona's body and even found blood on the doorframe just where it was in real life, uh, where the ghost said that it would be. And this is where the defense realized that her story was actually making sense and was not a good look for them. Yeah. Uh, and that they had messed up because if if she had told the ghost story, uh, uh, during with the prosecution it would have been hearsay but with the defense, (gasps) it couldn't get thrown out and the judge had to include it in his considerations. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So when Trout took the stand, his demeanor was really weird and he denied everything. Mm. And the Greenbrier uh, Independent, the same paper, they ended up writing a quote uh, about this case saying, there is no middle ground for the jury to take. The verdict inevitably and logically must be for murder in the first degree or for an acquittal. Wow. It's like basically, do you believe in a ghost or not? Yeah. You either, and, yeah, either this is a murder by this guy or, or not, or not. Well, okay, yeah, I guess. <laughs> oh, it's so okay. So wait, hang on. Wouldn't that always be the two options? I guess so, but it's either you believe in a ghost story that is confirming that he's responsible, or you don't believe in a ghost story where there's no proof that he did it. Right. Okay. 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 I follow. The only the only differing thing is if you believe in ghosts whether or not, this I guess. ghost story is true, right? Yeah. So uh, deliberation took only just over an hour, like ten minutes over an hour, and the jury declared that Trout was guilty and recommended mercy, which was life in prison versus the death sentence. Wow! Wow! And Trout said uh, th- a quote from him was, "The prosecution was all spite work, aka like the town was against him, mm. the holler was against him, and so he had no chance, even if it was a fake ghost story that got him in jail. Like they were biased, um, sort of. Yeah, which makes mm. sense. Everyone hated this guy, so yeah. Um, and the public was outraged that they even suggested mercy, and they all wanted him to die. So Dude. two years later, when he was on his way to prison, a mob tried to kill him. Oh boy." Uh, and then it ended up being de-escalated, um, luckily, but that's probably good. 
but they definitely were upset that he was going to get life in prison. They thought that wasn't enough. But so Trout ends up getting life in prison and goes to jail. He goes to Moundsville, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. the West Virginia State Penitentiary, a.k.a. episode 290. Um, and he died there in 1900 during the flu epidemic. And no one claimed his body. So he is buried in an unmarked grave, probably at that prison. In the- wow. So. In 1916, Mary, um, Zona's mom, died, but she always stuck with her ghost story that it was true. And some believed that um, she had, that some believed that the story was true, and some people believed that it was not true. But they all hated Trout enough and knew he was probably guilty that she just found a weird loophole to get him in jail. Yeah, you know, I remember vaguely from the Sinisterhood episode two, we th- we were talking about the possibility that she. It, the ghost story part was made up but she she knew that he had killed her and was mm-hmm. like i'm just gonna find a way to just, get people gonna to do believe what i have me to. like i saw yeah. the dress i saw the, the her neck i like i know he did it but like i need to find like some fanciful way to to convince people which mm-hmm. is also an interesting theory well, here's more to that theory. So in 1999, um, Katie Letcher Lyle, she wrote a book about the case called The Man Who Wanted Seven Wives, The Greenbrier Ghost, and the Famous Murder Mystery of 1897. Katie, long title. Gotta be honest. <laughs> Katie, I fucking love it. Don't listen to it. <laughs> Katie, that title looks like it covered the whole book. But you know what? I'm, I'm glad I know what I'm getting into before I crack it open. <laughs> Um, fun fact about the book, uh, is that when it came out, a newspaper editor named Fred Long called her and the editor called her to say that, oh, hey, did you know that the same paper, the Greenbrier Independent, the same paper that reported on the trial, they had also months before the trial published an obituary for Zona. And did you know that in that issue, that, Mm. that day's paper that had Zona's obituary in it, there was also an article about a ghost story solving a murder in Australia. (gasps) Oh my. And so it took over a hundred years, but now the theory is that Zona's mother was probably reading her daughter's obituary and saw that article. Oh my gosh. And it inspired this whole plan she hatched of (gasps) a, a ghost told me how I died. Wow. Or a ghost told me how she died. Um, so good memory, Christine. That here, is like so startling. Wow. Here is um, an excerpt from the article. One of the most famous murders in Australia was discovered by the ghost of the murdered man sitting on the rail of a dam uh, into which his body had been thrown. <gasps> numberless people or countless people. I've never heard numberless before, but okay. I like that though. <laughs> numberless people saw it and the crime was duly brought home. Years after, a dying man making his confession said that he invented the ghost. He witnessed the crime but was threatened with death if he divulged it as he wished to. And the only way he saw out of the impasse was to see the ghost where the body would be found. As soon as he started the story, such is the power of nervousness that numerous other people began to see it until its fame reached such dimensions that a search was made and the body found and the murderers brought to justice. So he he accidentally created like a group psychosis. Like they were all like, oh, I saw the ghost too. I saw the ghost too. Oh my gosh. And it was all because he was threatened to not say something. So he just made up a story that helped people find it anyway. So this is um, shocking. Wow. So 
she probably read that and went, oh, if he could do it, I could do it. Fuck yeah. And guess what? She did. And she did. And so the case has gone down in history. It's also inspired plays and books. Uh, Lyle, the author of the very long titled book, has... (laughs) even asked Greenbrier residents about the case when uh, she was doing research for her book and she learned additional folklore has kind of grown out of the story. So one person said that when Zona died, the town heard wolves howling. Another person said that when Trout tried to wash the bedding, the sheets turned to blood. Um, So all this kind of, yeah, there's been little things that have been added over the years. Um, Also in 1991, a historical marker was erected in Greenbrier declaring Zona Heaster Shoe, quote, the only known case in which testimony from a ghost helps convict a murderer. Wow. That happened to be her murderer. Um, And as as for the mother, she's buried in Soul Chapel Methodist Cemetery in Greenbrier. So anyway, that is uh, the Greenbrier ghost. I got to say, I just got goose cam. That is quite a tale. Quite a tale my god i just like gives me the shivers this poor woman i mean at the heart of it it's just really fucking sad i know especially the man but like hey a mother's love you're willing to do anything you know what (laughs) fuck yeah get it mary i mean i i absolutely believe he killed her and remember the seven wives thing because that was in her Mm -hmm. title do you remember that I do, and I I don't know if he had seven. He must have. No, should, maybe. no, no. He was what? like on a quest to get seven wives or something. He said, like he. Oh well, that he would was make... like on his third or fourth, and then he went to jail, and he like he had never reached his seventh wife or whatever. It was like some uh-huh. weird thing he had where he wanted to get seven wives, which is so gross. Well, that would make sense then why he married her in so quickly, so rapidly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also Ooh. just that piece of information lets you know that the other two that were that maybe mysteriously died it doesn't sound so mysterious anymore. Uh, so no, a brick falling on your head. Um hmm. How yeah. Odd. Mm-hmm. And then he fled town. I'm just saying. It's fishy yeah. fishy. Fishy it? fishy. I <laughs> it's trouty trouty. Trouty. That's what it is. Oh, um, that's a great story. Uh it's fucking sad, but it's it's a great story. So good job. Sorry I kept interrupting. I just like No, I I'm glad that you could give input. Usually maybe it's because it was a true crime story and all of a sudden there was maybe like Maybe that's facts why I remembered some stuff, but like yeah, that was a fun sinister hood episode we did too. It was. Um, Everyone go listen to them. They are lovely lovely people. Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything, I'm telling you, from sexy perfumes, to toys, to vibrators, to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. 
it feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Juni, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room. And so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, Em, I have a doozy for you today, okay? This is a story that was featured in The Gift of Fear, one of my favorite books that I talk about all the time. Oh, my God. You've even... I don't even read books, and you've been making me talk about it lately. I've been... This one only has four words in the title. That's true. That's why it's easier (laughs) for me to remember. If I had to start shouting out Katie's book everywhere, I'd be like, I don't know, man. Poor Katie. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Katie. I do appreciate that you wrote the book, and also your title alone gave us a new fun fact that I was not aware of. But I wouldn't be able to recite the title to people. But Gift of Fear, I do know that one, also because you scream it every five seconds of me. I talk about it a lot. But even I've started using it now. I'm like, oh, it's just like that book Christine always talks about. Oh, it's just like that book Christine always talks about. (laughs) see uh yeah i've had a few people tag me and say you know they got a copy or they i i personally i have a copy and i listened to it this year again on audible i like the audible version um just because i know i said this already but he does like it because the book was written in the 90s so some of it is a bit outdated um as far as just not the information but maybe some of the like terms and stuff sure but he does uh give like a kind of a a foreword uh in the audible book or the audiobook where he discusses you know covid and the pandemic and how that has kind of escalated domestic violence and stuff so it's kind Mm. of interesting to hear his like current take um and he reads the book which i always appreciate when the authors do that so and it is interesting to have that just to know that he's even addressed it because i remember one of the very first things people thought about Mm -hmm. when it came to being locked inside was like there are people who are locked inside with their abusers with their abusers it's terrifying it's really really it was really scary and um oh god i keep getting goose cam today uh so the story that i'm going to tell you is the stalking of laura black and um stalking is one of those uh concepts that just really pisses me off because Mm -hmm. it's just so not taken seriously uh by law enforcement there's really not much in place Uh, especially when this story took place, uh, which was the 80s. And so the whole concept of Gavin DeBecker's book is that he works on cases like this, like high, very high intensity, high profile, like stalking cases. And he uh, aims the book mostly at women. And he explains that in the beginning because typically that is the victim of uh, most stalking cases and describes, you know, certain 
instincts you might have that we've been taught to ignore um, Mm -hmm. and how you can kind of take those and actually act on them and listen to them. And so that's something I know for a lot of people is hard, including myself, which is why I just really love this book. Um, But so the stalking of Laura Black is featured in this book and uh, you're going to see why, because it's talk about a doozy. Talk about a fucking doozy. I'm already mad. I agree with, I mean, obviously I agree with you, but just to back you that it really is so, so, so scary how little stalking is taken seriously. And I'm, I've somehow fallen into stalking TikTok. So I've been, my world has been kind of extra consumed with seeing how unfair so many people's stories are. So unfair. And of course, the any of these true crime stories are unfair, but you know, it's just one of those things. It's where just you're so like, frustrating that it's so clear to. It's it's just one of those things where I feel like it's so rooted in masculinity, toxic yeah. masculinity of like so many people in the world can see how clearly dangerous this is, and the other half of the world just goes, "Well, what's the big deal?" Yeah, or it's, like there's nothing we can do, you know? Until yeah, there's it's nothing too we can late. do. And then guess what? Oftentimes it's too fucking late. And then and they go, "Where we couldn't have seen this coming." It's like, yep. are you fucking Amen. kidding me?" Amen. That you. Hey, look, we only had four words in the title. You summed up the whole fucking book. Okay. So I'm <laughs> Is that, we could, we could have seen this coming. Oh no, no, I didn't know. No, if I, not quite. <laughs> I didn't know if I said the title by accident or something. So let's get into the story. In April, 1984, Laura Black, who was only 22 years old, had just finished her master's degree in computer science and was heading to Silicon Valley. Hmm. She had gotten a kick-ass job as a freaking engineer okay and again this is the 80s and you know women in stem get it girl (laughs) so she's 22 she moves from virginia all the way to sunnyvale california she was starting her career at electromagnetic system laboratory aka esl incorporated or just esl okay so This company, ESL, is a defense contractor that supplied services to NASA, the U.S. military, and even NATO sometimes. So this is like very high profile job. Uh, Laura had only had about a year of professional experience in the field, but she was so skilled that she beat a number of other candidates to get this job um, and was able to land basically her dream job as an electrical engineer in Silicon Valley. So just like making moves, making waves at 22 years old. The company, ESL, had roughly 2,500 full-time employees, and uh, they had a lot of big uh, contracts and big, uh, large amounts of funds just being constantly moved through, especially because they had these government contracts, um, and therefore there was a lot of security. So they worked uh, with defense, and so classified information was a big part of the job and so many employees needed to have high level security clearances and this became um you know a big part of of what's going to happen here sure so you know working at a company like this having a criminal record doesn't totally disqualify you necessarily but it does make it harder to get into the job and also to get higher level security clearance so that to say most of the people who are working here had a pretty squeaky clean record and were like you know they had been fully vetted for this sure. kind of a job sure so when laura arrived uh, her coworkers took to her immediately she was young friendly engaging i will say i watched uh, a tv movie uh about this last night oh, wow. called stalking laura AKA and the, the that was a UK title. The US title was I Can Make You Love Me. Yikes. Oh yeah. okay. Creepy. And it was uh, a nineteen ninety three made for TV movie starring Brooke Shields as Laura oh. Black. I hey, know. Girl. She showed up, I was like, 
Huh? Wow. Oh. Hey. Brooke? <laughs> Brooke, is that you? Get off the screen. What are you doing oh, here? What are you doing? Um, but it was so, the movie. It's really, it's pretty good. It, it has like great reviews and it's known as like one of the better made for TV movies. Huh. Um, okay. It does definitely have its like cheesiness. Like when she's driving through the countryside, it has like this like gentle saxophone music. That's <sighs> just like very nineties. And you know, it's, just as natural as it's ever been. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's just like a little bit cringy, but um, they, you know, I thought they did a pretty good job. It's, it's, it's cool. a good, a good flick. So anyway, she's young, friendly. Uh, she's, She's beautiful. She smiled at everyone she met. She's just like one of those very outgoing people. Um, she dove right into her new life in California. She joined an aerobics class. She signed up for the company's softball team. She started oh, wow. a biking club at the company. Like she was just all over she, it. She said, I'm going to make friends and no yeah. one's going to tell me otherwise. And I'm going to be so fit that they won't be able to catch up with me. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, I'll be your friend, but I'm not attending the aerobics class or the softball game literally, or the biking club. My Bumble BFF profile literally ends with, please don't make me hike. Please. So like, don't. it's like, here's all the things I'm willing to do, but I swear to God, please I'm do like not make so me I'm like so open-minded. Just don't make me move, please. And also now that you're mentioned, I should also add aerobics classes in, in my God. account as well. <laughs> anything, time, that, anything that's going to make me sweat, I just don't want to do it. No. One time Renee made me go to a soul cycle class in Beverly Hills, and I was like, I've never <laughs> even been on a spin bike before. Like, it was <gasps> oh, the no. most... It's it was scary. Embarrassing, horrific. It was just so bad. It was so many levels of bad. Like it, never again. Never again. No, I ha- I've been there and I, I've I've gotten up and left in the middle of the class. I went For, this was a, this was yeah. a mistake. This I like was- walked up to the bike and this woman came up and was like, This is my bike. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm here. Girl, like <laughs> be nice. Like no. I get your- <laughs> like, they geez. won't. Boy. Anyway, so she's very, very outgoing, very enthusiastic, um, very active. She was even attending college courses outside of work to further her education. Keep in mind, she has a master's already, has a job, all while working full time. So just energy for days, super social. Hustle, um, hustle. Hustle, hustle. And just an easy to get along with person. This, of course, caught the interest of one of her male coworkers pretty immediately when she started Mm. at the company. Uh... While one of Laura's new coworkers was walking her around the office to introduce her to everybody, she met a man named Richard Farley. Okay. Rich had been born in 1948, and he was 35, so he was 13 years older than Laura. He spent 10 years in the Navy before he retired and joined the ESL team as a computer technician in 1977. He was considered a pretty low-key guy. Um, He didn't have a wife or kids at home. He wasn't very social. He had five siblings, but he hadn't spoken to most of them in years. And some coworkers kind of thought he was arrogant or had a big ego. But he had top security clearance, no criminal record. Um, Although one coworker had reported that he had in some way harassed two coworkers in the past, but there were no real specifics about that. Okay. And nothing had ever been done about it. Um, So life just kind of moved on and... They were left alone. When Laura met Richard on her first day in the office, she couldn't imagine how absolutely horrific he would make her life and Mm. essentially put her through hell. Uh, Richard, on the other hand, had fallen in love from the moment he laid eyes. That's what he said. Fallen in love the moment he laid eyes on her. Uh Uh, Of course, this was a twisted, obsessive, and pretty sick love uh, that would become Laura's living nightmare. Mm. 
Again, Laura had no idea, uh, because how would you? And shortly after she started at ESL, she went out to eat with Richard and another coworker. They just all three of them went out to lunch. It was very professional, just a friendly lunch with coworkers. Everyone paid for their own meals and they talked about neutral topics. And after that, Laura never spent time with Richard outside of work again. But by this point, Richard was obsessed. And let me guess, he saw it as like their first date or some bullshit. Like oh, yeah, that. absolutely. Absolutely. You nailed it. So Laura's problem started really quickly. Uh, Richard asked her out on a date and she politely turned him down because one, he was 13 years older than her. She wasn't interested in such a wide age gap. And two, she wanted to maintain professional boundaries with her coworkers. And three, she just wasn't fucking interested. So like, mm. you know, guy, you don't need multiple reasons. Just no means no. No is a full sentence. Correct. So this, uh, you know, she's 22. She already knows that the odds are stacked against her because she is a woman in this like very male dominated field. A young woman is it's already like she's already climbing an uphill battle being you know yeah, taken she, seriously in a professional environment like that. I know. I was going to say she's probably already prepared like to mm -hmm. come in swinging like to prove that she's worth anyone's time exactly and you know i don't know how much of this is true or just kind of like um creative uh creative input from the the team who made this made for tv film but they uh they they talked you know they had a line in there where someone said like you need to talk to hr and she said something like you know i'm the only woman in my office like in my you know team and there are people there waiting for me to go home and play with my dolls. You know, like mm. I can't give them a reason to be like, oh, she's causing drama or causing problems. And so, yeah. you know, she's kind of stuck in like a tough place, um, which is why it pisses me off when people like blame women for this kind of thing, you know? I mean, oh yeah well also like yeah you're right she had the odds completely stacked against her because we haven't even gotten far into the story and i already know that there were probably people at this office who thought she asked for it in some way yeah so. oh yeah 100 percent. remember she smiles at people she meets so oh right but mm. it's either that or like last week you don't smile and you're you abrasive <laughs> so exactly you don't smile enough oh boy you yep. can't win you can't win so Laura didn't want to snub Richard because they worked together, but she also didn't want to encourage him. So in an interview, uh, she said, I tried not to ignore him, but to be cordial. Mm -hmm. So Richard was not discouraged. He launched a full scale pursuit that turned into daily harassment for poor Laura. He wrote her love letters, which he left on her desk. He stopped by her office a dozen times a day to nonchalantly ask what she was up to, as if, you know, an hour ago anything had changed it's between like, well, the last what's going time he on? showed up. What's going on is you wrote me a love letter, and I'm still trying to avoid and it's that. So. in the trash, and I'm trying to work, and you keep bothering me. Yeah. And so he called her desk every couple hours throughout the day, every single day. He started leaving gifts on her desk, even homemade bread. And Laura turned down Richard's advances every time, but kindly. Uh, he was making her nervous, but she did her best to maintain a professional work environment. Mm. But of course, Richard escalated. He started leaving letters on her car in the ESL parking lot. Uh, one night, he showed up at Laura's aerobics class. And Laura had never mentioned where she did aerobics and realized, oh, he nope. must have followed me here. Yeah. Yep. This yep, is where yep, I'm yep. starting to get goose cam again. Wow. He really wasted no fucking time. No time. Not a minute. And, you know, it's so shocking because you think like, well, somebody like this, obviously there's like a background, but like no criminal background, squeaky clean. 
never, well, also, you know. Again, toxic masculinity. So many guys are taught that if she says no, then you just haven't pursued Try her the harder. right way. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, this is a PSA to any... Uh, anybody anybody but especially if you happen to run in circles with people who identify as men uh please if you see this behavior check them because it's not cute and no means no and people don't need to be pursued take the hint take the hint take the hint. yeah yeah they'll let you know if they're if they change their mind you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um so she realized he's following her and learning her schedule. And in fact, Richard apparently told a coworker he did aerobics with Laura. Then he literally said, well, actually, I'm not going with her. I follow her there. Oh, so just straight up saying it. Yeah. And the coworker did nothing. So Richard started inserting himself into every corner of Laura's life. And even worse, her coworkers knew something was up and was like, were like, oh, that guy's such a creep. He's, you know, harassing you. But like nobody really did anything. It was just mm-hmm. like, ugh, I roll. You know, he's such a weirdo. Yep. And Richard showed up to company softball games. He talked nonstop about Laura to their coworkers. And people were like, he's just an oddball, you know. Mm. And Richard went as far as to befriend the custodial staff at ESL and snag a copy of Laura's keys to her desk. And he was able to go through her desk drawers at his leisure. Yay, of course. Of course. With all her personal files, personal information. He even used his security clearance to access Laura's personnel files at work where he found out her home address and phone number. (laughs) Um, And this is just another like PSA. And I don't want to come off like I'm just like bossing everyone around because like I learn right along with everybody as we go through these stories that, you know, that certain things are red flags. But um, and I don't want to. I'm not just trying to like act holier than that when I say this, but there was a scene in the movie, for example, and I don't know if this is real or not, but it's a good example uh, where he went to the HR person and said, oh, you know, we heard it's Laura's birthday coming up. Do you mind? And we want to do like a little party. Do you mind pulling up her files and giving me the exact date mm. so we can prepare? And the HR person's like, oh, that's so nice, you know, and pulls it up and he's looking over shoulder and like sees her address and sees, you know, and I don't know how much of that was like fictionalized, but it is very... It's like, a common thing, though, or could it, be a common thing. It, it's if just, you're... you know, invasive and scary. And I'd like to think nowadays, you know, you might not be able to walk up to HR and be like, give me their information. But, you know, I feel like some people just have a way with words to say, to sneak around and, and get access well, to stuff. Well, also, everyone thinks that everyone in their circle is harmless. So yeah. you you just hope that there's no way that they would, like, they're just trying to do something kind. Or if it's something as... uh you know subtle as just like a birthday date you know it's it really it's so unassuming and that's that's part of the the creepiness of this and i don't think you're holier than thou with any of that i think it's just like there is certainly this is a a case that allows us to give a lot of psas because i feel like a lot of times we talk about true crime and it's murderers and it's people that we big big stuff big 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 but but stalking cases are sometimes very gradual and very yes, insidious and it, and it could happen to anyone and it could also happen by anyone mm-hmm. because again with toxic masculinity people are taught to pursue and if they're if you're not getting the energy you want back then you just haven't done anything you know grand or creative enough yet and people can get in their heads thinking oh i just have you know everyone has 
their I mean, own it's, perceptions. It's the classic rom com of you know, yeah. oh, uh, just go after the girl until she says yes, and she will eventually. You know, yeah. it's sort of like the lesson a lot of us learned, including women. Like I feel like yeah. a lot of us also learned. Well, you know, if he's really trying, that means he really likes it, you. Exactly, exactly. So I think this is. I feel like maybe we feel like as someone with a platform, as mm. people with a platform, stalking is maybe not more likely than murder, but it feels like it's, it's maybe more common or maybe more misunderstood. And so I don't, I don't think you're, I don't know what the right word is, but I don't think you're, you're holier than thou. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. I I think we're just like this, it could very easily happen and the signs could, could happen so gradually no one will notice. So especially, especially in workforces where it's male dominated and, I think we also feel responsible to advocate for people. And if you are someone uh, in male centric spaces and you are someone that men listen to, it is also your duty to stand up for women who could be going through this. So please keep your eyes open and make sure nothing creepy is going on. Trust no one. (laughs) (laughs) See something, say something, trust your gut. And if you're hearing people say, oh, that guy's creepy, but he's harmless. You don't know that. Yeah, nobody knows. Exactly. Until t- until it's too late, then what? You know what I mean? And I think that's what's so scary about it is that you're right. It's so insidious that like, you know, it's easy to brush off if it's especially if it's not happening to you. Yeah. Um, and if you're being called creepy, by the way, listen to that person. They it's not like a flirt. It's not it's like, yeah, please, please back off. They are trying to set a boundary and don't know how to do it safely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's a great point too. Um, if you're in that position and like, I mean, I, you know, I've learned a lot too. I feel like, um, like through doing this show and like one thing that's an example I'm trying to think of, uh, that I learned was, you know, when, for example, I'm walking into an apartment complex and someone's like, Mm -hmm. can you hold the door? And it's like, well, I don't want to be an asshole, you know, but you know, that's, that's what this book, the gift of fear is about too, is like, sometimes if you're like, this doesn't feel right, like just, Mm -hmm. just, what the worst that happens is you look fucking rude and what yeah. big, big so what you know and honestly if you're about to turn them down anyway they're gonna think you're rude anyway so who cares yeah <laughs> so. well i just mean like even if you're letting someone into the apartment complex and you don't oh, even sure, sure, like sure. you don't even know you're just like something seems off i don't recognize this person or you know what i mean and you're like well i don't want to be rude uh, you know i'll get on the elevator with them or like you know trust your gut and the worst that happens is you're like sorry i'm not comfortable with that and they're like what a bitch or whatever you know big whoop exactly and you're safe so yeah it's like such a hard thing and so i feel like that's why and there's so many red flags throughout this that just get ignored that it's like just so infuriating yeah sorry everyone for so many psas but also not really because we still (laughs) live in a world where like unfortunately the law is not on our side for things like this a lot of the time and we really have to look out for each other so if if you feel that you or someone you know is in a creepy position mm-hmm. or if you or someone you know are being told that they are being creepy, then please p- listen to that. And yes, that's it. The end. And also at the ep- end of the episode, I'll give you some uh, guidelines and stuff. Oh, good. OK, good. Thank you. Um, so anyway, he's being a total creep. He gets her personnel file. He starts calling her landline. He drives by her house. He parks across the street to just watch her at home. And Laura remembers he was ever present. If I looked out my blinds at home, I would see him driving by. If I looked in my rearview mirror, I would see him. Mm. And bizarrely, Richard started leaving messages attempting reverse psychology. So he would say something like, I'm going to pick you up for a date at 8 p.m. tonight. If you don't want to go on a date, call me back. Otherwise, I'll assume you do want to go and I'll see you tonight. 
Ew. Yeah. Oh, that's so slimy. It's so catch-22, you know, fucking call me so it's if like, you don't want to go out. Otherwise, I'll be at your fucking house. So either I get a date with you or I get a phone call from you. Either way, I, I, Exactly. Either way, I get something from you that you don't exactly. want to do. Exactly. And the only way, this is one thing I do remember from The Gift of Fear, is fucking don't feed into it. Don't respond. Don't call back. Mm-hmm. And I know that's easier said than done, obviously. But even saying no over and over again and calling them back and yelling at them like that's just going to continue this their behavior well, also yeah you went on a a seamless work lunch yeah. and he saw it as a first date so if you call him to say don't talk to me exactly it still exactly. got him to talk You're to like, you like oh well that's all i wanted the attention the, the yeah. conversation yep so if you know if she called him back she'd be acknowledged to talk to him uh, acknowledge the harassment but then when she didn't call him back he would always show up uh ready for their date waiting outside her house uh mm. he would leave notes on her car when it was parked at home he sat in her driveway for hours uh laura once saw him in her driveway trying different codes on the garage door <gasps> keypad. ew please yeah. please 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 call trying police. to get inside and uh bear in mind he's a skilled computer technician so it's like <gasps> if anyone can break into your fucking garage it's this guy oh my god that's oh my i wouldn't even know what to do. I, like next like, level terror i mean and that's that becomes the part where like i would love to give a psa but i don't even know what you do in that no, situation you don't. That, that's exactly it is like there is just not enough put in place you know and there's more than the 80s but not that much more Mm. so at this point obviously laura is done being fucking polite she sees him outside every time she sees him she yells at him to chase him away and says get off my property um the problem is or the problem was stalking at the time was not illegal anywhere in the united states and even now it's extremely difficult to get police to do anything about a stalker and Mm -hmm. here's a little fun fact for you according to the national violence against women survey Men commit most stalking. Four out of every five stalking victims are women. While high-profile celebrity stalking cases generate considerable media attention, they are relatively rare. Most stalking occurs between people who know each other. Less than one-fourth of women and about one-third of men are stalked by strangers. So typically it is somebody you know. Mm, Women are most likely to be stalked by a current or former intimate partner during the relationship, after it ends, or at both points in time. And so, you know, it reminds me also of like sexual assault where it's like you can be raped Mm -hmm. by somebody you're married to. You can be stalked by someone you're in a relationship with. It does not mean you're asking for it or you're like consenting to it, you know. And so according to the U.S. Department of Justice, only about 12 percent of all stalking cases result in criminal prosecution and about a quarter. Yeah. And about a quarter of female stalking victims and about a tenth of male stalking victims obtain restraining orders against their stalkers. And of all victims with restraining orders, 69% of the women and 81% of the men said their stalkers violated the order. So at the (gasps) end of the day, it's just a piece of fucking paper. And a lot of times that'll just piss them off enough to escalate. Yep. Yep. So. Wow. Basically, even if you can prove you're being stalked and get authorities still to, to take action, they get you a restraining order. It's poorly enforced. It's hard to enforce. And you may have just angered them or, you know, convinced yeah. them that you're still in contact. Or they still think it's part of the chase. They yeah, think it's, exactly. Ugh, it, it, like God. another challenge. Exactly. So back in 1984, there wasn't a single anti-stalking law in the United States anyway. So by legal definition, Richard was breaking zero fucking laws. He God. could follow Laura everywhere he wanted. He could sit outside her, her house all night, leave letters at her doorstep, and she had nothing, like nothing she could do. 
and like abortion best she could do was call the police and be like this guy's creeping me out and they'd be like well relax well what like, they would he- say which they do say now too is like okay but if he is technically not breaking a law like there's our hands are tied if if he harms you then we'll do something and it's like well mm-hmm. then it's too late you know it's just yeah, such a exactly. hard like weird gray area and it still is that way so eventually this is fucking wild laura finds out richard is applying to rent the apartment next door to hers mm. so she moves because of course the onus is on her to avoid this but it was no use because of course richard immediately found her new home and this went on for four years and laura moved four different times trying to get away <gasps> from him shut imagine. up i wouldn't imagine. i truly wouldn't even know what to do or where no. to go or who no. to talk to about it you're just not safe you know so he wrote laura hundreds of letters over this time period which he handed uh, handed to her at work left on her desk her car her mailbox at her front door in late 1985 this was about a year into the stalking behavior a little bit after a year actually laura finally went to hr after a lot of people were like you got to talk to your job but again you know people criticize her for waiting so long but it's like until you're in this position you can't say oh well it you know she should have said something well and what like what of it like she already tried moving four different times and also like keep in mind this is a woman in stem at a time where women were not in this workforce like she probably didn't want to risk her job she didn't want she didn't want to be that guy in the office who's causing who shows up and immediately starts causing you know an uproar and you know it's it just pisses me off that when people like victim blame in this scenario it's like no that fucking guy needs to stop not her she didn't do anything yeah, wrong. she didn't here. do anything wrong like yeah you'd be in her position and see what how you feel if people are telling you to that's your fault or you need to stop you need to you should have said something earlier it's like well and what what would have happened because guess what she says something a year in and it goes on for three more years so it doesn't <gasps> even it doesn't even fucking do anything you know oh god okay so, so it's just it just pisses me off also this guy's an older senior co-worker and like you mm-hmm. said it's like she's in a disadvantaged position here being a woman here being new to the company Power dynamic. Power all the dynamic way for sure. The age, everything. And worse, her coworkers already knew what was happening and they didn't report it either. So it's like, yeah. you know, if they're critiquing her, well, maybe you should have said something. And yeah. she uh, could have felt like, it would have done nothing. So exactly. She felt like there was no point. And so a year in, she's like, fine, I will talk to HR. So she tells the HR department everything. And I will say, hey, if this is happening to you, go to HR. I'm not saying don't go talk to HR. That's not what I'm saying. I think at the time, especially when this wasn't considered a big deal, uh, she felt like this was a worthless pursuit to go to HR. I would say now, I, I, I believe there are improved protocol in place for this kind of thing. I would hope so at least, mm-hmm. um, and maybe slightly more fair and balanced. So, you know, if you do, I, I'm not saying don't talk to HR, but I'm also saying I can understand why she didn't at the time. Especially because like best case scenario, they would have like fired him and gotten him away from her. And then he would have been pissed off and really come at her, you know, mm-hmm. like no matter what you don't win. It's like a lose, lose thing. Exactly. Yeah. So Laura told the HR department everything, the letters, the gifts, the way he followed her to her aerobics class, sat outside her house. And uh, did they fire him? Absolutely not. They sent Richard to counseling and they he promised to leave Laura alone. And then he literally just continued to stalk her uh, Mm. while in this therapy that he was mandated to do. So HR saw that the problem was persisting. And did they fire him? No, of course not. Uh, this time, Jean Tuffley of HR approached Richard and told him, like, seriously, you got to knock it off. Stop it. Leave her alone. And mm-hmm. he's like, OK. And he waits two months and then goes right back at it. 
After those two months of waiting, he t- he writes Laura an especially threatening letter telling her that she and her roommate could expect a visit from him. <gasps> Fucking yikes. And oh to make God. it clear that she couldn't do anything about it and he had complete access to her, he left a package on her car and inside of it was a key to her new apartment. <gasps> that he had somehow obtained and presumably had multiple copies of. So. Wow. Wow. Terrifying. So Laura went to HR again and they issued Richard an official letter of warning that he may be fired if his behavior continued. And of course, this company is utterly failing Laura, even basically helping Richard at this point. And Laura couldn't even go to the police because this is not illegal. So she had nowhere to turn. Once Laura was back in Virginia visiting her parents for the holidays and they received a letter at the house from him to just prove that he knew where she was and he knew where her family lived, uh, no matter how far away she went. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so just, now even if she tried to, like, hide out and, like, even if or even not just even hide out in Virginia, if she decided to, like, go straight up undercover and, like, move to, like, Wyoming, her parents are still now in danger. Right. Like, if, well, great point. Like, even if she's out of the picture, like... Her, or her, or, his, had, or her roommate, who probably doesn't want to fucking leave. You no, know, like, and she had siblings, and she had yeah, exactly. It's like suddenly your whole life is at risk here. Everyone you love, yeah, even even the final option of at least like changing your name and fleeing the country is like okay. Well, now I now really they know where your people mom at risk. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And at this point, Richard had already sunk into absolute delusion. He suggested Laura go with him to see a marriage counselor for their problems. <gasps> what yeah sorry that's just beyond it's just like seriously guy he told a coworker he planned to buy a house with laura uh and he named laura as the sole beneficiary in both of his life insurance policies and so he was just like riding on this wave of we're in love so in january of 1986 richard confronted laura outside of her newest apartment and threatened her he told her he owned guns he said he was done asking her to do what he wanted and he was going to start telling her what to do he said, I do own guns and I'm good with them. Forget and it. One of the things that, uh, that I, another thing I remember from the book, uh, that Gavin DeBecker says is when someone tells you their intentions, believe them. When someone yeah. tells you who they are and what, you know, what they're capable of fucking believe them. Yeah. And they've clearly I, been able to think it through. So they can absolutely act on it. They're saying it. And it's, it's, it's. It behooves you to trust them. And not th- I'm saying I'm not saying she didn't, but I'm just saying in general, like he's literally laying out a plan right here, you know? Yeah. And so oh. in after this, he tells Laura, once I'm fired, you won't ever be able to control me ever again. Pretty soon I'll crack under the pressure and run amok and destroy everything in my path. So basically now he's threatening her that like she's the reason he's mm-hmm. going to harm other people. Yeah. So a month later, in February of 1986, Richard confronted Jean, the woman from HR, and told her she had no right to interfere in his personal relationships. And Jean basically said, what you're doing is illegal, and if you don't stop, you'll be fired. And Richard said if they fired him, he would have nothing left to live for. He said he had guns. He wasn't afraid to use them. And Jean later testified that she asked him during this meeting, Rich, are you saying you would kill me? And Richard said, yes, but I would take others with me. So he would like he could easily just come into the office and just like he's just hurt saying, everybody. Yep, he's like I'll kill you. 
He just outright said it. So Jean went to her supervisor uh, about this threat to her fucking life. And they simply told her that she no longer had to communicate with Richard and that a male HR employee would handle it from now on. And Richard still wasn't fucking fired. He just told the woman in HR he would kill her if they fired him. And he's not fired. So nobody reported this to the police. Finally, uh, a male co-worker brought up Laura to Richard, said, if you don't cut it out, you're going to get fired. And of course, Richard did not cut it out. So it wasn't until May 1986, after two years of this nightmare, that ESL finally fired Richard. And it wasn't even just over the stalking. It was actually over his declining work performance. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just horrifying. And and honestly, like I was going to say this later, but I'll say it now. This is also extra bad because... They ended up writing him a glowing review and he got to work at a competing company. So it's like it didn't even harm him, you know. Uh, well, of course. Here. Say it with me, Kel Surprise. <laughs> so... Kel Surprise. Jesus, fuck. So it was uh, far too late for this man to be fired. It didn't make any fucking difference for Laura. In fact, Richard had gotten away with his habits and now had all the time in the world to pursue her. He started parking his car in the ESL parking lot all day, waiting to see Laura come and go from work. Security didn't make him leave. Eventually, he got a new job as a software development engineer, like I said, at a competing firm, and ESL had written him this glowing recommendation. In the meantime, Richard actually began seeing a woman named May Chang. And she, as far as she knew, she knew Richard used to have a thing for Laura, but Laura never reciprocated. And she had no idea how absolutely deep this obsession and sickness went. Girl, run. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I know. And in 1987, which was the year after he was fired, Richard was still dating his girlfriend, still working at this new job and still full time stalking Laura. He, around this time, wrote Laura a letter that said, It might not really occur to you how far I'm willing to go to upset you. I have nothing else to lose now but my life, so don't try pushing me any further. (gasps) God damn it. That's so scary. It's terrifying. so ominous. Like pure terror. And you're trapped. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. And at this point, he's just laying it all out on the line. He would meet with his former ESL coworkers, and he said things that, once again, should have been reported to someone, but everybody just let it go. Uh, for example, when one ESL employee criticized the company, they said, what's it going to take to wake them up? Some madman to come in there to shoot the computers and shoot the place up? And Richard, at that point, muttered that he might be the one to do it. And they were like, okay. <laughs> oh. And he then asked if the glass on the front doors was bulletproof, and everyone laughed. Uh, they, I guess, thought this joke was about destroying company property, and they were like, whatever, you know, we'll Which let is it slide. so silly, considering, like, so long ago now, he's also said he will hurt everyone he in will his hurt, path. kill people, yeah. Like, he was giving us signs a while ago, folks. Why are we still laughing? It's not even a sign. It's like, he's literally saying what he's going to do. Like, he just yeah. is able to say it to everyone's face. So another time, Richard brought up a former mass shooting in a California McDonald's that happened in 84. And he said, I wonder what ESL would do or what they would think if I did something like that. <clears throat> Again, nobody reported anything, not even to ESL, who might want to know that this guy was had, had it out for them. And part of me wants to go like, what the fuck is wrong with these other people for not reporting it? But then I also don't want to like shame them. But also, I, know, I do think they should have been aware. Also, I think like back back then i mean especially with you know all well, of the, the shootings these increase days and shootings i think we're all I, slightly more aware i would hope yeah i think maybe th- there just wasn't like 
the the psychological education or the awareness that everyone just kind of had by yeah. simply living in in the world so i i i 2022 me wants to scream at them like how are you not seeing these fucking signs and if you are why on earth aren't you saying something mm -hmm. i have to keep reminding myself like gross but it was a different time and maybe they didn't but yeah and it's hard it's like even if you're friends with someone they say something off the wall and then they're like i'm just kidding it's like i can understand why someone would be like oh god that guy's so weird but yeah not but not know what to do you know it's like yeah i, I do get it and i you know this is why i feel like we all need to take a lesson and be like mm -hmm. see something say something um yep so again 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 Ooh. this whole time he keeps driving to the esl parking lot sitting and sitting there just waiting for her uh harassing her when she leaves work uh, one of Laura's coworkers, Robert, confronted Richard, said he was going to wind up in jail if he kept this up. And at this point, Richard wrote a letter to Laura telling her that Robert better back off. This is the guy who confronted him or there would be consequences. And he said, I better never see any police around me. In February of 1988, Laura's life was falling apart. She outside of work was just facing Richard day in day out at work. Her security clearance was threatened because uh, Richard Richard's interference in her life was making it hard for her to get security clearance. And her job was at stake, which is like the one thing she was trying to salvage this whole time. Mm -hmm. And this had gone on now for four fucking years that she's living this pure nightmare. And she had long considered trying to file a restraining order, but was terrified about the consequences, which, again, is like another big thing, because I feel like the automatic, the, the knee jerk response is get a restraining order. And it's like, that's not mm -hmm. it's a piece of paper, you know, it doesn't necessarily yeah. do anything. And so she was so terrified that like a restraining order would trigger him to retaliate against her. And he had actually told coworkers he would not, quote, react well if Laura ever filed a restraining order against him. But her job's at stake. She needs a security clearance. She has no other choice. She files for a temporary restraining order, and the judge scheduled a court date for Wednesday, February 17th, where Laura would have to submit evidence to request a long-term or permanent restraining order. Oh, my gosh. Some people were like, wow, that you let this get way out of hand, which is like, fuck off. Okay. Um, Truly. At the same time, most of her coworkers did back her up and confirm, like, she never encouraged him. This is not her fault, you know? And she never strung him along. She always turned him down. So this temporary restraining order was served to Richard on February 8th of 1988. And it said, Richard couldn't come within 300 yards of Laura, call her or contact her in any way. So Richard sent Laura's lawyers in response to this, a package full of letters defending himself. He included receipts for alleged dates they'd been on. He said he and Laura were in a long-term romantic relationship and she was lying about the stalking. Thankfully, none of them believed him, obviously. Right, right, right. Uh, two days after the police searched Richard the order, he went to a sporting goods store and asked the manager for something with power. Hmm. Forget it. Hmm. So he bought a shotgun and a ton of ammunition and he paid with a faulty check because at this point he was broke. Uh, he owed the IRS tens of thousands of dollars. He Oof. basically felt like he had nothing to lose. Like he was breaking at this point. That same day, he went to a shooting range and requested six, quote, man-shaped targets to practice <gasps> on. They're like, okay. <laughs> Again, why wouldn't a shooting range be like, no, why? Well, because they are that shape, you know? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're talking I thought, I don't know what my brain was thinking, but. 
No, but it, it's it sounds alarming when you think about it. But I guess that's kind of especially if that's sh- part of the in like self defense training. That's how you you know yeah 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 learn to no, shoot that a gun. Does make sense. But, but it is very geez. ominous in this scenario. You know. Yeah. What a way to phrase that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man shaped targets. So Richard also bought a mobile home, and on February 16th, which was one day before the court date, the court hearing about uh, making this a permanent uh, restraining order, he drove his mobile home to the ESL parking lot and waited for Laura to come outside. With his shotgun in tow, I'm sure. Oh, and all his ammo. Yep. And his defense attorneys later claimed he had no plans to kill Laura or anyone else, and... uh, Apparently, he claimed that he actually wanted to go outside, talk to Laura, and if she rejected him again, he was going to, quote, kill himself in front of her to show her, like, what she had done. Mm. So that was what he claimed. Unfortunately, that's not what he did. Instead, at about 3 p.m., Richard got out of his mobile home and began his fucking rampage. On his way into the building, he encountered a former coworker that he'd been on friendly terms with and just shot him right there in the parking lot. Uh, his name was Larry oh Kane, and he was the first victim of Richard's killing spree. Oh so God. Richard walked through the building, making his way to Laura's second story office and shooting at anyone in his path. Some employees wow. escaped emergency exits and windows. Others barricaded their office doors with bookshelves. People hid under desks, in closets, and even in the ceiling. One coworker said to another that even without seeing the shooter, they knew it must be Richard coming after Laura. That's how obvious this was. Like, they just heard gunshots. There was even <sighs> another building nearby. Uh, and one witness said, oh, the older employees seemed to know who it was and why they were shooting. Like, a different building. They just knew who it was. That's how obvious Jesus. it was that this guy was going to snap. So... When Richard finally got to Laura's office, she tried to slam the door, but he shot through the door and shot her in the shoulder, (gasps) badly wounding her, and then walked away. He discovered one woman hiding under a desk, and he saw it was a woman he was on friendly terms with, his former landlady, in fact. And he said, oh, there's someone in here. You can come out. Oh, it's Linda. And he said, you can get up and leave. And she thought it was a trick. And he was like, no, no, get up and leave. You're okay. And she got up and left unscathed. And what? I know. Another woman hiding nearby got up and said, can I go too? He said yes. And let them both leave unharmed. Jesus. Also, that was like, I I can't imagine a more mentally torturous traumatizing experience. i mean the whole thing the whole thing but to even like to wonder like if in this moment that's it because yeah it's a, it's a to trick. get to the door like in that moment like is he tricking me then richard contacted esl security and they connected his call to the police and for hours hostage hostage negotiators tried to get richard to stand down he eventually let authorities enter the first floor and retrieve the people who were wounded Laura, meanwhile, realized that her office had two exits and the next door office Richard was in only had one. So she actually made a break for it with her, you know, shoulder bleeding out, basically. And she ran into a few other coworkers who were hiding and all of them escaped the building together. Uh, By now, the parking lot was filled with ambulances and media. And there's actual footage of on the news of Laura making it outside the building and getting pulled into an ambulance. Um, and she was taken to the hospital. She underwent multiple surgeries to treat her broken arm, collapsed lung. She had spinal damage and oh. severe blood loss. She ended up being in the hospital recovering for 19 days. Jesus. Oh, my God. But thankfully survived. So Richard stayed in the building until 830 p.m., at which time he told negotiators that he was hungry. And he would come out if they brought him a specific sandwich and a Diet Pepsi from his favorite restaurant. And they were like, okay. 
So they fucking got him a sandwich and he walked right out with his hands up and police it's took so him. It's so weird. It's like, I keep thinking everything's a trick with him, but he's really like, like, did no. he, did he get what he wanted? Like, I don't understand. Like, well, he got his sandwich cause they delivered it to him in jail. So you know what? Oh. At least they kept up with that fucking promise. <laughs> okay. I hope they spit in it, but whatever. I know. Yeah. Um, ultimately fucking tragically Richard killed seven people and injured mm. four including Laura so his victims were Lawrence Kane 46 Wayne Buddy Williams Jr. 23 Ronald G. Doney 36 Joseph Lawrence Silva 43 Glenda Moritz 27 Ronald Stephen Reed 26 Helen Lamparder 49 and the following weeks and they were just in the wrong place the wrong time you know yeah yeah. The following weeks, of course, were a media frenzy with Laura at the center of the attention. This nightmare for her is just continuing. And in an interview, a news anchor asked one of the victim's family members if they felt bad for Laura Black. And one of them said, no. As, <gasps> as a woman, I cannot imagine tolerating unwanted attention for four years. So basically <gasps> saying, well, she let it go on for this long. Like, what did she expect? Wow. That is beyond and of course you said it was a woman who said that yes it was so against your own fucking kind great but to be fair they did have somebody killed in the shooting so i you know it's a family member of one of the victims so oh, i imagine okay. it was a okay. very hard position to be in to be like okay asked do you feel sorry for her i imagine i i would hope that maybe in the years following they kind of grew to understand but i don't uh -huh. know i don't know but yeah I, they, I would, it was, I would a, hope it was, it was a... just a heated moment yes okay understood but i'm not sure so it just goes to show you that people will still blame the victim yeah. in that case. Um, and anyway. also like what a, what a tricky space for like the survivor's guilt of the people who, who made yeah. it out of that building that day of like, Oh, there were so many signs. Should have, could have, would have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh mm -hmm. God. Terrible. So an ESL employee spoke out against Richard saying he's a hideous human being who was on a power trip. It had nothing to do with unrequited love. It was all about power, all about control. That's That's the thing. It's not about love. In At these all. abusive situations, it's never about love. It's about if you love someone, you wouldn't treat them this way. You wouldn't harm them. It's not fucking love. So like throw that out the fucking window. So mm -hmm. he said it had nothing to do with unrequited love. It was all about power, all about control. And he set himself above everyone else in society and he should pay the ultimate price. Mm -hmm. So Laura said if stalking had been a crime, she would have taken action right away, but she had no power, no recourse. She did have a restraining order against him during the shooting after all. And look how much exactly. good that did, you know? She Amen. even expected Richard to attack her for the restraining order, but she said she never imagined he would, you know, take it to such an extreme. Mm. Laura says the blame is not on her and ESL should have terminated Richard far earlier. Amen. And action should have been taken to protect her and her coworkers against him after his firing, especially when he was just outright threatening HR. He was saying, I'm going to shoot the place up. And the day after the shooting, while Richard was in custody, the court uh, finally granted Laura the permanent restraining order against Richard. And through tears, San Jose Family Court Commissioner Lois Kittle uh, said, "Pieces of paper do not stop bullets." And exactly, thank you for the thank you for the permanent piece of paper. Yeah, I guess. exactly. So Richard's mother was shocked by what Richard did. She said she wanted to send sympathy cards to the victim's families, but didn't know if it was her place to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, she never knew about Laura Black. Richard never spoke to her about Laura. Weird. And I know because he spoke to like everyone else about her. Mm -hmm. After what Richard did, even his few family members who still spoke to him cut him off completely. 
Richard's girlfriend, May, was equally shocked by Richard's rampage and his obsession with Laura. It seemed that although everyone knew about the behavior and did almost nothing to stop it, he would, like, hide it from the women in his life. Like, he almost, Mm. like, he was able to maintain a relationship with a woman and keep his mother out of the loop, even though... Yeah, maybe because he knew that they would sense something was up, you know? Yeah, maybe he knew they were not safe people to hold this information. So Richard wrote Laura a final letter from jail, uh, the last word of his 200-plus letters he'd written. He said, when I go to the gas chamber, I'll smile at the cameras, and you'll know you have won in the end. So, Mm. see, again, it's about winning. It's about a power dynamic. It's about a game or a competition or a—it's not about love. That's, you know, that's not how that works. So on March 11th of 1989, he wrote to a friend about Laura saying, I'm glad she's okay. I hope she understands if I'd really want to hurt her, she wouldn't be here today. So <gasps> he insists he let her live because oh he God. wanted her to know what she had done and to see the wreckage she had caused, basically. So I feel like that's that's pretty common, though, of like, I want you to be here to watch. To witness. All, to see all the suffering you've caused. AKA what I'm causing, but blaming yeah. on you. Yeah. Oh exactly. yeah, of course. But I think that's their mentality of totally. like, if I, if I killed you, you wouldn't be here to suffer like I have. And so. also like he wouldn't be able to continue his delusional mm-hmm. nonsense if she were gone, you know, now yeah. he still has this, he thinks he still has this hold over her or I'm sure he still feels like there's this power dynamics and she's still around. So Richard insists he didn't plan to kill anyone. He planned to kill himself, nobody else, but he did mm, so i don't know mm. what the and fuck. then you got hungry for a sandwich yeah and then you forgot and to that do that part it? yeah okay okay richard's lawyers insisted that before laura richard was never violent he was unlikely to ever kill again they insisted his actions were not premeditated but the prosecution used every letter every gift every phone call from richard against him as evidence they proved that he was calculated premeditated a stalker a killer And Laura herself took the stand to testify about the depth of Richard's depravity and behavior toward her for four years, which must have been a very tough thing to do. Mm. In 1990, California passed the first anti-stalking law in the United States in response to this case. And Laura's nightmare called national attention to stalking and the lack of legislation about it. And this became an infamous case featured in several film adaptations, including the Brooke Shields one and studies of criminal behavior and is notably featured in the book The Gift of Fear, one of my faves. In October of 1991, about seven years after Richard first laid eyes on Laura, he was convicted of seven counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree burglary, and one vandalism charge for shooting office equipment. He was sentenced to death and denied a later appeal, and as of 2022, he is still on death row. And that is the story of the stalking. Is Laura still here? You know what? Laura still works. At la- last I've heard, I think she's pretty darn well scrubbed off the internet. Um, sure. For good I, reason. Yeah, you would never want to ever have your information out there again. Exactly. But last I heard, she still works at ESL or at the same company. I don't know if it's still called ESL, but... I'm amazed that she would want to keep working for that company. I know. But you know what? It was her dream job. She said... Wow. This is for me. And uh, uh, allegedly, last I heard, she was still working there. Um, I would have been like, I need a glowing review. Of, like, I need yeah. such a recommendation, and I it will be leaving, leaving, leaving. You owe me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go work for, I don't know, 
Apple or something and just become the president I'm there. I'm going to invent Apple. It. Bye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, Jesus. Yeah. So I just want to let you know, um, let everybody know, you know, if this is something that you are dealing with, um, there are plenty of resources uh, that you can, especially now with the internet, obviously, uh, you know, the statistics are still very scary, um, but there is stuff you can do. If you go to victimsofcrime.org, uh, there is a stalking resource center, and we can put that in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it'll there's some response tips on there. Um, there's, you know, a guide for how to respond. There are different uh, explanations of, for example, like stalking through technology, which obviously is now like a new angle on it since the mm-hmm. 80s, uh, being able to stalk through the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then specifically for women, uh, womenslaw.org, we'll put this also in the uh, show notes. There are safety tips for stalking victims um, or if you know somebody uh, who is being harassed or stalked, there are safety strategies and legal options that you could pursue. This is like specifically uh, a legal resource. And, uh, you know, one of them, for example, says to create a log to, you know, date and time every incident uh, who was present, ask witnesses to write down what they saw. And you know what? It fucking blows because, yes, you are the onus is on you as a victim, unfortunately, a lot of Mm. times to to make, you know, take these steps. But, for example, if you are a witness, you see something like this happen, you know, step in, do something, say something right, you know, contribute however you can. Don't turn a blind eye. Um, And so you know save evidence if somebody's stalking online harassing you take screenshots keep voicemails mm-hmm. texts don't delete them uh keep keep evidence of all of that um because it might be uh important later when it comes to you know your gathering safety. evidence so boy yep, that's that wow oh. i wish there was more that could be done but unfortunately it's a very limited amount that you can do. Um, I mean, you know, slightly more thankfully uh, than a couple decades ago, but still. I mean, at least if there was something to come out of it, at least there was, you know, legislation, to, uh, you know, being mm-hmm. kind of written up and taken seriously. And- yeah, at least it caused some action to be taken. And I will say, I'm going to say it again, but you better fucking do it, is read The Gift of Fear because he, this is his entire job is literally helping people get out of these kinds of situations, preparing workforces for being able to tell people, tell workforces who is going to take, who is going to take action on a shooting threat. For example, if somebody is a bomb threat or a shooting threat, like he is able to tell after so many decades of experience, who's who to be taken seriously and who should be just kind of brushed away, you know? Mm. And so it's a, it's a great resource. So, read it and it, there's more resources in there uh if you're if you're struggling with that so Oy. anyway this was a big episode i apologize but big episode there is I, I mean a lot of psas but again it's it's one of those things where it just it feels like it could happen to anyone and yep. overnight you know so yep. and i will say it's not only exclusively women also happens to men of course yes the the, the binary doesn't apply here either it you know mm-hmm. um it can Any, happen it to can happen anyone, anyone by yep. anyone. So just, you know, be aware. And if this, if you're wondering if this is something that's happening to you, you know, um, check out some resources online and yeah, be safe out there, folks. Oof. Well, 
I don't know. I don't know what to the end. say. <laughs> Sometimes I really love when you do old time stories because it doesn't feel as if not only does do your older stories feel further removed in some way, but also it, it you know, I, I don't know. I just like stalking really is such a such a thing where like I feel like we all know someone who's had yeah. some level of a stalker or it's so relatable um, in the worst way. It's so scary. Yeah, it feels really personal. This one feels yeah, really personal. We for can some all reason. kind of understand the fear and the terror and like how useless you can I think feel that's in that position. Ever- yeah, everyone everyone knows the feeling of helplessness. It's like vulnerability. Yes, exactly. And, helplessness. And this whole story, just from beginning to end, just really, you can absolutely feel at least a, a splinter of a fraction of what she had to go through. Exactly. So. And like, we can all relate in a way, Ooh. which is very scary. Um, wow. Well, thank you for that. And <gasps> I, I hope we did someone some good out there, whether we prompted you to be an advocate for somebody or maybe you know you're going through a situation right now and hopefully some of those resources help you and if you happen to listen to our show and you are someone who maybe is you know really having a crush on someone and you want to pursue them and it doesn't have to be you know as intense as fully stalking Mm. someone but even if you're thinking like oh i'm gonna ask them for the fifth time to the dance maybe all four no's are enough. And maybe let's just end it there before anything That's a great, gets bigger. Great, great point. Because I Middle- mean, I've had to learn that. I feel like in high school, you know, you get a crush on someone. You're like, unrequited love. It's so romantic. And then over but the years, But I feel years, like that's it's... how so many stalking things start, where it's yes. so gradual. And you don't, maybe they don't even think that it's going to lead to something dangerous. But it just gets really blown There's out of proportion very the, quickly. delusional em- element sometimes of, yeah, exactly. If someone says no, or if they don't even say an enthusiastic yes just read the room and and move on let's yep. just leave it there <laughs> read the fucking room read fellas. the room folks it's not there's no there's no game there's no chase no means no means no means no um and with that folks i yeah. guess <laughs> i guess we'll see you next week for Woo-hoo! some more fun oh my gosh and that's why we drink Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. America.